G'day, Forest Folk, AOS coach here, and we are talking all things Sylvaneth. Um, it would not be a Laurie Huggett Wild show if there wasn't technical difficulties. One time we had to stream in a garden. One time he was late. This time we had some tech issues. But most importantly, this this guest is an absolute legend. You have done all three Sylvaneth Battle Tomes with me, and it's an honor to have you coming back through the Awakened Wildwood and sharing with me what you think about the new Sylvaneth book. And I know you've been playing with it for a while, so um, it'll be great to get your perspectives changing from the last book to the new book. What some of the new rules like Strike and Fade and the Season of War and, you know, we've had new models like the Gossamer Archers and Lady of Vines. There's so much that's happened in this book since we last spoke. And like always, we're going to talk about your perspective and kind of how you're seeing it from probably a, a competitive lens. But um, Laurie, you've done incredibly well on the scene. Um, you had a small little stint playing Chaos, which was unfortunate. But we'll put it to the side. I'm going to ignore that you didn't go on a Chaos sabbatical. <laughs> I wanted a little bit of variety, a little bit of change. So I did. I had my, um, my. Uh, I think I did, what did I do? I did uh, Saves to Darkness. Um, uh, Iron Jaws, Lumineth, back to back, basically, just to you know, variety is, is a spice of life, as they say. So I, I, I did stray from the trees for a little bit, but now I'm back, and um, yeah, all the better for it. The heralds, the heralds of war, have called. The seasons have bloomed. I guess you're in the. I don't know. Would you call yourself in the 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 reaping phase, or would you reckon what what season best <laughs> describes you at the moment? I was saying to you before um, before we started that I've just had uh, my first kid. So at the moment, I very much feel like in the Everdusk stage of uh, everything. Everything is tired and dying. But um, that's a separate that's a separate thing. Uh, and thank you for everyone who's joined the, joined the live stream, by the way. Um, absolutely. You go all legend. Thanks. Thanks for joining. And um, I'm really looking forward to this because I remember I remember the second edition book and it felt like pushing poo uphill. It was like, this has gotten overly complicated. There was woods and wild woods. And, you know, a lot of the ways that you used to play with Sylvaneth got really restricted to a point where I think Sylvaneth kind of dropped off quite significantly from the competitive scene. And and the people who used to kind of be the beacons for Sylvaneth just stopped playing, just completely stopped playing the faction. And I've, and I've noticed on the tournament scene, Sylvaneth is rising not only in popularity, but in competitiveness, you're seeing them more and more in the top eight. And, or, but more importantly, I think you are going to see them because they're such a finesse army. It is going to take a little bit of time to kind of see the power, the power come out of the book, but we are all re already reaping the kind of the benefits. But before we get into that, just, do you want to introduce yourself and more importantly, what got you into Sylvaneth? I think that would be a great context setting for people who haven't seen like the myriad of shows that you've done with my, with me on the channel. Um, yeah. So uh, morning, everyone. Uh, I've been playing um, Sylvaneth since the, the tone, basically since the tone first dropped. What got me in, initially into them? Um, I went to my first first Age of Sigma one there down in Dorset, um, uh, and I borrowed an army of Paul Buckler. And whilst I was there, um, Aaron Bailey, um, who doesn't really play anymore, but but he was playing a Sylvaneth army, and I looked at them, and they looked quite cool. I'm not a very good hobbyist. I'm not a very good painter. And I saw Sylvaneth and thought, well, I I think I can paint that. I think I can do an okay job there because you know it's it's lots of washes and dry washes and you're, you're pretty much there um and then once i started playing them i realized that they were exactly my play style i really liked the way they played 
and they kind of clicked and and uh, as a result whenever i have strayed away from them i have found myself missing the way they play because they do play very differently from um uh, most other armies and like the the tools that you have at your uh, your command are very different from other armies and so whenever i have taken a taken a sabbatical so to speak i've always come drag uh, come come uh, been dragged back to them basically and uh, it helps having, I think I've got 8,000 points now of Sylvaneth um, painted and ready to go. So it's nice being able to just write a list and go, okay, I don't need to paint anything for that. I can just put that on the table and, and give it a go. Um, and yeah, done done well with them over the years and uh, got many podiums and a few first places with them. Um, and yeah, I really, really do enjoy them and, and consider myself a tree bro at heart, basically. I love that humble flex. Yeah, I've had a couple of first places. Yeah, just, you know dusted off the shoulder but you are you are you are a very talented sylvaneth player which is why i had to get you on the channel to kind of get you your thoughts on, on the book because there has a lot has changed both fundamentally in the allegiance ability um you have a whole bunch of new units i think you've gotten more new units than any other faction who's gotten an update this year i, I couldn't believe it every other mm. faction it's like here's a small hero here's a small hero here's you know the high gladiatrix here's a little idiot hero you you're just like cool gossip and archers the the the, the bugs the lancers and your seekers you got your know, lady of vines it's just like sylvaneth got so much no it's great it's really great and they're, they're, i think they're some of them i think were a bit mixed reaction to begin with but um i think they're all really good models i really like them and I'll, and I'll be curious to get your thoughts too because i know when gossip and archers very first came out the internet lost its mind it's just like mm -hmm. this thing is broken all the mortal wounds and then it's almost like when the book dropped, everyone forgot about them completely. And now it's all about lances and seekers and even Kurnoth hunters. I think it's been funny watching even like Durthu kind of get a bit of a revival. It's mm -hmm. just like Durthu was OP. You know, like I remember the time when Durthu was like whiff central. Yeah, which is still the case. It's still very much the case. Durthu is as Durthu does. Um, but yeah, it's great that like so much is, because I agree on the Gossamer Archers front. I think that uh, points and their reliability is what's keeping them out of list for the most part. Um, and I certainly think that the internet's reaction, shockingly, I think the internet's reaction was a bit over the top, which is, which is unusual because it's normally um, the the internet world is so so um, steady and calm in their uh, reactions. I, I certainly didn't notice it with Nurgle or Nighthorn, and I'm certainly not receiving it right now with Lumineth that Sentinels <laughs> lost their line of sight ignoring ability. It's like, oh my God, the world is ending. The world is ending. That's right. We're talking Sylvaneth, and I guess uh, imagine I was new to the faction. You know, like let's say I don't have the wealth of experience that you have. What are you finding with Sylvaneth right now? And like, how would you describe the book? And even what have you noticed? Like, what have you noticed going from from the last book to the new book? Um. So the the way in which they play has changed in a small but noticeable way um they which i've actually i found a little bit uh, tough to deal with myself at times they've always been an army of movement so you've always been able to um put your army down and then kind of go where almost wherever you wanted to go certainly they used to be the case you basically went wherever you wanted to go um i live very near to to rich buckler and rich would always jokingly say to me when i was deploying is he just doesn't bother looking where i deploy because it's kind of irrelevant because i'm just going to go wherever i want the board and so he'll work out his own deployment there's no real point looking at how um, how I deploy and that that's still sort of the case that you've got a lot of flexibility about where you're going to go. I think the big thing is that you 
now are very much expecting to to hit and run. So this new strike and fade ability, which is the new allegiance ability that we've got, means that you can hit a unit and then retreat. And I think the way the book plays now um, is largely around that ability, or, or at least that's ability you've got to make use of as much as you can. And that changes the way they play. And, and, and games, a few games I've come very close to losing or have lost uh, is when I haven't taken advantage of that ability correctly or enough. I always used to play the old Sylvaneth, like well, the first tome of Sylvaneth. And actually, actually, to, to be fair, with the second tome as well, it was about a hard alpha, get in your face, I'd do enough damage or pin you in place enough that then when the grind gets on, I'm, I'm up enough by turn three or turn four that I'm going to win in the long run anyway. And the boot doesn't work like that now. And occasionally I have left units in. Uh, I've left units out of the board, like having having committed them, and they just get taken off. And I'm like, no, I, I really do need to basically utilize strike and fade, like uh, almost almost every single time, basically. Um, and I think that's that's the the big thing with the new book is you need to be you're still playing movement, you're still playing a game on another level to a lot of other armies, but you're 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 now in a position where you're no longer pushing a large chunk of your army up the board. Instead, you're uh, you're looking to to really take advantage of strike and fade as much as you possibly can. Which kind of reminds me a lot of the old Wood Elves when I went back to because I'm everyone knows I'm a fantasy battles person, and when you played Wood Elves, especially I think it was around seventh edition to eighth edition, they were very much a high movement strike and fade, like shoot and disappear completely, and you know spreading out the force like you go chasing a particular model, and you know then another arm, a unit comes comes at you at a different side, and it's really pulling apart your castles, and you know it goes back to your high movement, and. And when I looked at, when I remember the last version of Sylvaneth, the most competitive lists, I think, were the Dreadwood lists, if I remember correctly. And often, yeah. like, people would throw at you, what, six or nine Kurnoth Hunters with size, yeah. maybe another six, either three, three and three, or a block of six of swords or something. Yeah. You know, you might have the um, the, the Warsong Revenant, or you'd have, like, a, a Branch Wraith kind of hiding in the woods. And it was very much get into your face, you know, put down the roots of a, of a Kurnoth Hunter and just, like, grind you and pin you while things are chipping away at mortal wounds, people are summoning up dryads, and it was very much a grindy focus, almost like a Nurgle to a degree. Um, yeah. But very much now it's about striking, it's about um, positioning, it's about movement, and it's very much a game of 3D chess. I think it's very much about even 4D chess. Like you're looking at this and you're not playing Age of Sigma. You're like almost semi-KO in a sense. Sort of, yeah, to an extent. I, I think what's what's kind of building on that, what's interesting now, if you look at um, the way in which my kill points used to be in the old uh, old book, would be that I would normally get tabled and I might kill about 1,000 points. Um, uh, and now it's now it's like I quite often will lose nothing. Because like if you if you if you're playing someone who's not who's not been played against Sylvaneth before or hasn't got the tools to deal with you, you can hit them and basically they can just can't touch your army at all. And that's really different from the old way. But those lists you're describing, and even if you go back to um to the first book, like my the, the my favorite list in the first book was seventy dryers of Phoenix, and you'd put that in the the opponent's face and they'd get through them. And so actually, I I would often get tabled, but I'd have scored so many points in the first few turns that that was that basically. And so on both of those, you really are. I, I know other people play them differently, but I'd I'd uh, I'd commit so much and then 
you take out enough to, to basically win the lawn. And that's not the case. Now, like, as I say, you might, I've had games where I've lost a unit of three revenants, maybe two. And, and that's basically it because you are just hitting, you're retreating, you're going around the board where you want to go um, and your opponent can't follow you. I remember Winterleaf. I remember the Phoenix coming in from Winterleaf. I, I'll never forget playing Lee and Burnet Blue uh, when I was playing with Moon Clan Grots before Gloomspike Gits got a book. And he was loving just summoning Dryads. And back in the day, um, it's actually kind of funny because they've kind of returned to form almost that you'd get a minus one to hit penalty against Dryads if they were one inch, not wholly within, just within. So you could like Congo line a whole block of 30 Dryads. That's a good one day, inch, though. One idiot from the woods and then like as you're doing days. damage you just pull them back towards the woods and they're regrowing them that. like i hate you i hate you so much i miss those days uh, that was amazing yeah just one i'd say one dryad and then, then 20 dryads strung out at the other side of the board and like well because this one guy here is near wildwood i minus one to hit good luck good times I, no no no, I, I have battle scars, folks. Um, going back <laughs> even to like Stormcast, when Stormcast you could drop into your line, pin you with Storch Defender, like like dropping in in uh, combat, not even charge you. It was crazy times. But what do you thought? What do you thought to the new book? Do you do you think they've improved in in value? Do you think that they're kind of similar? I know you mentioned their play styles different, but like, what's your general observation of this updated twenty twenty two book? So I think they're really good. Uh, I think straight off the bat, they are. They're a very good book. Um, I think it's been really interesting seeing the reaction to them because I, I, I do personally think the reaction is slightly too positive about, not too positive, slightly uh, too arguing that they are broken or that they are, um, I know some people think they're the strongest book out there at the moment. I think they were the, some of their weaknesses remain the weaknesses that they've basically always had, that um, they really dislike a double. Uh, if you get doubled, then you can often find yourself in quite a bad position, um, and they um, are very expensive. Uh, and I think that I, I think once your opponent knows how to play against you, they become such a harder army to play with. I think that's the really big thing, and that's why you you will get players um, who just get taken off. Players get taken off, um, and then they come away and they're like, well, that's a ridiculous army. So a ridiculous army, they are way overpowered, they need a huge nerf. And it's like, well, no, you you, you just haven't played against them enough. Like, they play very differently, and, and Strike and Fade, Strike and Fade is like the ultimate um, NPE, NPE neg negative play experience, if you don't know what to do about it. Like, first time you play it, like, right, you've got six sides or dirty, they teleport from one side of the board to the other, hit me, kill me, go away. Do that three times and I've lost my whole army. Like when you have that and that happens against you, like, right, well, that's terrible. Like, what what can I do? But when you start realising the counters to them, then it really makes things quite tough for self enough. So I think they are a very good book with loads of options, which is very strong. But I think once you start getting onto top tables against top players, that I mean, it always gets harder, obviously, the higher up you get in competitive tables. But I think it's a really steep increase for Sylvaneth, basically, compared to other army books. Um, when you start playing very good players who know how your book plays, it becomes a lot harder, is what I would say. Yeah, and you're going to talk to us later in the show about how I beat you. You're going to tell me about how to, to defeat. Because I think that's part of why I did this channel as well, right? Because there's one thing to talk to awesome people like you and he, how to make Sylvaneth better. But if I'm listening to this on the other coin to go, well, I don't play Sylvaneth, but, I, but I've got people in my community who are doing really well. Or when I go to my next tournament, 
what are the tricks I need to look out for against Sylvaneth? And how do I understand strike and fade? How do I understand, you know, prioritization of like, look, this list is really built around the um the lancers, you know, the, the spike rider lancers. So I've got to prioritize that. If I don't kill them, they come back, whatever, right? I, it's all about information sharing. So I'm sure you're going to tell me more. Um, as we go through it, Laurie has sent me a bunch of lists too. So we're going to see how he's thinking about Sylvaneth, but also I want to get your perspective on the rules and go through, you know, what are you liking? What are you not liking? And remember that we are in 2022 General's Handbook Season 1. It's all about Galician veterans. It's about the GVs and, and I, actually I think kind of works quite well with you with the bonds of battle, having to be able to fight in two ranks. It kind of gave Kurnoth hunters with swords a massive glow up. They're five wounds, so it doesn't, unfortunately. It helps. It helps with, uh, if you take Dreadwood and you take spite revenants, it helps them. But apart from that, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it, if we are talking about um, the current GH, um, then Galatian Vets has been great because Tree Revenants are the, are, the, are the best Galatian Vets or one of the best Galatian Vets units out there. Their ability to go anywhere on the board um, is massive. Um, and yeah, so I think we are good in this GH. Um, but yeah, Sword Hunters, unfortunately, are just are one wound too many to get that glow up. I was thinking, like, I always confuse Kurnoth Hunters with four or five wounds. I, I always go with the four, not the five, but oh well. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. But yeah. overall, you think they, they work quite well with the, the battle pack, the, um, yeah, so, the GV stuff, say, the bounty hunter? Yeah, I think so. I, I, say, I think tree revenants are, are just so good at, um, uh, at, uh, at that side of the, 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 um, the GH that if, uh, if you're picking or your opponent is picking one to be proving ground, then tree revenants can, can always go there, basically. Um, and uh, alongside that, if you're uh, if you're looking for a bounty hunter unit, then you've got loads of options who actually really noticeably get better, like Kurnoth Hunters with Scythes, put into Bounty Hunters, just jump up a level. Uh, some of the, the best uh, benefits from it are um, the Cavalry, uh, Revenant Seekers and Spite Rider Lancers. Lancers both just jump up so much in terms of damage uh, if you do put them into Bounty, uh, bounty Hunters. And obviously, we've kind of got this mini game going on in this season between like how much Galatian vets do you take and stuff like that. But I think Silver never are in that position where if they like the, the my main list, which we'll talk about in a second, is three drops because it's got one or two units of bounty hunters in it, and then it's got some tree revenants. So I'm I'm uh, I'm playing that game where if I'm coming up against something which is very Galatian vet heavy, I've got the increased damage output I need for it. But at the same time, if I'm not, I've actually got in this list, I think I've got three units of tree revenants, which means that they are not giving them away to my opponent to just kill easily. But if I find myself in a position where I need to contest something's proving ground, I need to use those abilities, then I can do that. So I think they're I think they're in a really good position in this GH, yeah. Spoiler, we're not going to be talking about it in a second. I think it'll be a good 30 minutes before we get to your lists. Just just to, just to like people are like, why is he going to talk to this list? No, we've got rules to go through because I want I want your perspective on there's a whole bunch of rules and especially new rules. Um, and I think part of the new rules is really kind of especially like uh is it uh from the woodland depths? I think it is. Um some of the new no, no, places of power. Places of power has really breathed new life into Silverneth. Um, because I think that's probably one of be one of the challenges in the past. Um, there has been smaller table sizes, 
it's been harder to get the wildwoods on the table. Now that you can activate a bunch of terrain, make them overgrown, and then actually get them to do things in your faction, um, as opposed to just, was it like a bravery buff? or what, what did it, I, can't, I can't remember what it used to do. But it, yeah, now it, it it's actually you, useful. Yeah, it used to give you inspiring presence, effectively, from like all, yeah, a mute battle shock and a little bubble, which was which was good, which was which was handy. But you're right, it was a, it was a tiny buff rather than a big one. Um, and what I'd say is that, uh, yeah, it, it used to be used to be always this big problem you have, this big conversation you'd have to have at the beginning of the um, of the game about terrain placement, and you kind of be looking at like, right, well, if we put the terrain like this, and I'm getting two, maybe three woods on the board, and that seems a fair compromise between us. And it was always a bit awkward, like what, um, how how reliant you were on that, and that does remain still. But you're right; it's now the case that actually, if you have a normal looking board. Then you're gonna you're going to be able to take advantage of the terrain and teleport from one piece of terrain to another, and that's I think I think I, I I remember when I was playtesting this I thought it and I think it's still I think it's a really nice fix to how Sylvan feel they should play without completely Natalie putting the emphasis on you that you've got to make sure terrain is placed in exactly the right position. Um, there is still the element of that, and I. That maybe later on is a time to dwell on it more when we're talking about counters. But obviously, there are pretty clear wording on what terrain you can pick for places of power. And so, if your opponent wins that role of and chooses where to put terrain, they can be quite clever with that and restrict what you're picking as your places of power. So, there is still an element of a terrain mini game, which I'm, I'm not particularly a fan of. I don't like that that's something which determines how your chances are in the game. Um, but I say maybe we'll talk about that later. But for the most part, like I think, I think the idea of places of power is a really good one because it means that your you, your army relies on teleporting. Like that's that's why they're expensive. That's the points of for that are built into your your points. Um, and now the terrain element of it allows you to do that basically. And just to collect Chris Clark's comment down below, I think if you're listening to this as a opponent to Sylvaneth, you need to understand the importance of terrain and the wild woods and anything that's tagged as overgrown so that you could start to mitigate or even anticipate where they might strike and fade, where they might be you know, walking through the spirit paths. Because I think that's probably, Sylvaneth is very much about guerrilla warfare. You are not an honest fight. You don't, you're not iron jaws. You don't walk up the table and, you know, charge on flanks. It's not what you do. You are very much get in, pick the points that you want to fight, spread us out as much as possible, um, hit as hard as you possibly can and take as little damage as possible and get out as soon as, as soon as possible. You're very much a high movement game. Almost like, as I said, it reminds me a lot of Carriage and Overlord, just in a very different way. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, I've played a couple of mirrors now, um, uh, since Sylvaneth versus Sylvaneth. And the first thing I'm looking to do in my first turn is to get within three inches of as many of those overgrown pieces of wildwoods as I can and just to shut that down, basically. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah, I'm giving away trade secrets here, right? Really, aren't I? Um, uh, but you, that's why, if you are playing the mirror or if you're playing against Sylvaneth, then you just got to get within three inches of those wildwoods, uh, those overgrown uh, pieces of terrain, and then you're immediately limiting options. Like obviously, they can cast new wildwoods, and maybe they've got an ancient, so they can summon a new new wildwood up as well. But if you're just getting within three inches, and you can really shut down where they're going, um, and yeah, so that's what I, I think you need to be looking at. If you're looking at your list, you're looking right, right. How do I how do I beat, beat Sylvaneth? Something which perhaps isn't immediately obvious is like. Right, what units have I got which I can push up the board quickly 
get within three inches of these terrain pieces and i don't mind them being up there like obviously you don't want to do that with your with your more crusher because then you're leaving your more crusher on the open but maybe you've got a unit of five yard boys which you're like right they're gonna they're gonna, gonna put them deploy them on the line my first turn they're gonna run up and they're gonna just get within three inches of that piece of terrain maybe three inches of another piece of terrain as well if i can stretch them out enough and there you go i've shut down two of their teleports it's always been one of the key strategies. Again, I never forget when I played Liam. I, and I used to play Liam a lot. We'd always play like on a Thursday night. One of the first things I would do is I'd go low drop so I could choose who goes first. Yeah, you put down the faction terrain at the start, but I would find one unit and apply a run roll of six so I can move up the board as quickly as possible, take up as much space as possible so you could yep. summon another Wildwood and start denying where you teleport. And um, at least now you've got a whole bunch of options. And I think that's kind of critical and key um on, on, on how you get the map the most out of your, your movement couple of rapid fire questions i want to ask you before we get into the rules and maybe get into your perspective um first off is there any units that you think have gotten a big glow up units that you didn't quite use in the last book and now you're you're looking at them either because the war scroll changed because of the current general's handbook or the points or something something that's just become good I think uh, basically the whole book uh, that can apply to, which is a really nice position um, uh, to be in, is that like so much in the book has got a, got a glow up. Um, I do think like one's worth noting. Well, well yeah, worth noting. Alarial straight away. Um, Alarial being um, uh, coming back to life uh, just really makes it difficult uh, to play against. I one of the mirrors I've, I've played was against your friend Dave, um, uh, and he beat me much to my chagrin um and playing against Alarial for the first time in in well first first time playing against the new version of Alarial, and it's horrible because she's got a 2d6 heal 2d6 uh heal every 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 of your hero phases and now she comes back to life which means that when you're on the other side of the tape and she's movement 16 she's got a six uh, six damage spear a spell which when it goes off is brilliant she can do 20 damage um uh, from combat um she could also kill something as well it's so hard being on the other side of that i think when you play with Alarial, you can't help but see what she how she might whiff downwards and you might kind of help be like oh god but she could she could miss with her spear her spell could fail to cast she could roll two ones to hit but just just whenever you're taking it whenever you think about taking it think about it from the other person's perspective you've got this 16 wound three up save 2d6 healing beast um that when it does die uh it comes back to life um and on, so it, it's, it depends on the turn. So, um, and it's worth noting, when she dies, you don't have to roll next hero phase, you can choose. So whenever she dies, um, if you if you, if you you lose her first turn, let's say, well done, that's impressive. I mean, I've done it many times myself, so I can't laugh. But if you lose her first, time, first turn, if you choose to bring her back first turn, then it's a um, five up. Turn two is a four up. Turn three is a three up. Turn four is a two up. And then turn five, you actually get it back automatically because it's the turn turn you're on plus um, plus to the dice roll. Um, and so you see that that's, it does make it quite hard to use her because I think normally you're going to want to bring her back turn four, maybe turn three if you're really struggling. And so from your perspective, you're always worried about rolling that one or two. But that's not how it looks from your opponent's perspective. And it is, again, as I say, against, against Dave, I... I overcommitted to killing her. It took me two, maybe even three turns to do it. And because she was constantly healing, um, it really, if you don't kill her in one turn, she go all double her, then she just goes straight back up and she can retreat and charge as well. So you can't really pin her in. 
And then I did eventually kill her. And then Dave rolled the two up um, his turn four, got her back. And she comes back at the end of your hero phase on eight wounds. So, all right, she's 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 not uh, she's not that, that fully healed, but she's still movement 15, still still just goes wherever she wants, basically. So she's she's brilliant. She's 840 points, which I know is a lot, but she's still got that free summon. So effectively, she's uh, 590 um, and she is still that beautiful jack of all trades, basically, where you never quite know what you're going to get from her from your perspective. But but psychologically for your opponent and when she does, something will go off for her, basically, I think. So I think she's still brilliant. Um, and so, think, and, and like the summon piece, just to quite just the summon really quickly, the versatility at a tournament to be able to go right. I want Kurnoth hunters with bows because I need more shooting. Uh, I need more bodies, so I'm going to summon you know dryads, or I need a tree lord, or you know the, the versatility in this is is incredible. So I just want to call that out because um, it's it's under leveraged. Well, not under leveraged, but it's underspoken about. Like, yeah, I can chuck on a th free unit. But it's a versatility. And by the way, speaking of Dave, I got some dice for you. I got some AOS coach oh, dice for you. Thanks. Will be I appreciate that. In, yeah, they, they just roll sixes. From my from from my experience of playing against them, they literally just roll sixes. I'm getting getting very subtle there. That might might say more about me than anything else. Uh, I think with with that summon as well, there, there is two sides to something. Like the, I think now that we can only teleport one unit a turn. Um, I think the fact that she she can move up the board, she moves and then summons. So actually, that's really helpful because you can. And kind of hunters move at five, so they're slow. So you move her sixteen, and then you summon those kind of hunters into cover or onto an objective or wherever you want. That that used to be a bit like meh because you would teleport so much anyway. Now that we've actually got less teleports, her being able to move and then summon is good. The only kicker to that is that, of course, because they're summoned, they're not in any battalions. So quite often you'd, you'd want those dryads in um, expert conquerors or you'd want those uh, kind of hunters and bounty hunters um, and you can't do that. So it's not without its negatives, but I do think uh, it probably has got better than it used to be uh, on balance. Yeah, she's a, she's a great model. And that's probably one thing that you and I were talking before we went live is the current Age of Sigmar books, uh, and I'll get to those other rapid fire questions in a second, is that in their last book, it was kind of very clear that there was one or two of the uh, of the groves that were the good groves. There was yeah. one or particular build that was the good build. I feel like when I look through the Sylvaneth book, most units are viable, most allegiances are viable, most options are viable. You now some will be better, some will be worse depending on the meta and your opponent. But I don't feel like there's um, there's much trash in the book. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I now have reached the point where. I have either written or have seen written a list of every single unit in the book. Uh, there's, I think there's maybe two groves which aren't a goer, um, but that's that's it. Everything else is really viable. Um, on on the what other ones have got glow ups as well. I do think Kerner Hunters have got slightly better. Um, uh, them having a three up save built into their um, uh, their war scroll is brilliant, um, and the damage has become a little bit more consistent across the board. They are more expensive, but also you can make them battle line in um, in Heartwood, and so they've got more options to them. They haven't gone massively better. Like they still basically kind of hunters still do now what they always used to do. But kind of hunters' big weakness was mortals, but it was also shooting because their rerolls of save was only in the combat phase. And so you'd be on a four-up save against shooting. Now that there are three-up save across the board, I think that really helps them. And, and particularly because you're you so often going to be in cover with them. Um, yeah, they're really hard to get through. So Kernathon says, I, and I also do think Dirthu's got better too. Um, 
You beat He's me to the punch. That was gonna, that was gonna, that was going to be mine. I was I was going to say thanks, Laurie. My no no no. Please go. You 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 go on. You share, and then if you if you miss something that I like, I'll I'll add it. I think he's just, uh, he's a lot of points. He's 370 points. Um, but he's got so much utility to him now. And he always had utility to him, but he's just, a few things have just been nudged in his favour. So uh, he's still, t- he's top bracket, I think, until six wounds now. When it used to be three wounds, he'd go down to D6, which is obviously a real issue. Um, his shooting attack is still really solid. Um, but he uh, now has 14 wounds rather than 12 wounds, which again just makes that little bit of difference to, to him being good. Um, his strike last, now his strike last is now a uh, monstrous rampage rather than just something that's war scroll, which I know is divided opinion. But the fact that it's almost three up, not a four up, I think just makes it slightly more reliable for me, uh, which I really like. Um, and so I think, and the fact that Greenwood's Gladius is, is uh still out there which gives you d3 extra attacks on his big big sword he's got a secondary attack now which is which is better and i think again like he just if you compare him to kind of hunters at first glance you're like right well this kind of hunters a better bang for my buck but when you're looking at everything else he brings in terms of monstrous rampages in terms of his shooting in terms of his secondary attack uh, in terms of even just being able to stomp or roar something he is he is uh, expensive but he really does give you a lot of options he will still that time when you need to kill something roll three ones to hit and then three ones to wound and then they roll a six for their final save so he will still infuriate and perhaps in that respect he's not the competitive choice but he is still if you want to just blow something up with with your one model just put it in and go right yeah that's 36 damage see you later um he's still still beautiful for that he's still derp through sometimes Couple of other quick units that you've added, and then Chris Clark, I will go to your question. Is a good one actually about the Warsong Revenant that I'd love to kind of revisit because that is a new unit as well. Um, you got a whole bunch of new units. So first off, uh, high level view Lady of Vines. Um, I think she's too expensive. I think I think she's too expensive, and what she's really good at uh, is too unreliable. So. Uh, five up ward is amazing five up ward in the sylvanus book is is so good like you want um um you want um that's the that's the answer to so many problems you've got we're, we're weak against mortals and a five up ward solves that the issue is it's a seven to cast so even if either you you lean massively heavily into that and you're taking naru and you're taking um burgeoning and you're going all all for that but then you're losing on other things. And even then you might, you might roll a seven to cast it. And then your opponent just rolls an eight to stop it. You're like, right, well, that's, that's it. She also summons up some dryads, but again, it's on a two up. So that key turn, you might just roll a one. And then you're like, oh, that key game rather, you might just roll a one because it's once per, once per game. And she might just roll a one. You're like, right, well, that's because you can be like, actually three, two, five, but actually she's two, two, five. But then if you roll a one on that key game, on your table, table one, game five, then actually that's, that's not, not good. Um, and so yeah, and that that's the I think Paul Buckler just made that point. Um, I think that's Paul. Um, I, that actually, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly yeah. with his comment. The Lady of Vines yeah. is good, but there are better options in the book because you've got, you've got so, so much stuff. Yeah. yeah, in that, and then I think later on you're going to ask me. Yeah, um, you've got so many three hundred something characters: Lady of Vines, Warsong Revenant, Dryker, Tree Lord Ancient, uh, Durthu. It's like you you're, you put a few of those in, and suddenly you're like, all right, well that's a thousand points gone. And I just think whenever you whenever you put Lady Divines in, you're like, well, why would I not just take one of the other ones, basically, and they would do the job better. Yeah, and you also lost, was it the Branch Wraith or the Branch Witch? Yeah, one of them poor, poor smell for Branch Wraith. 
got Kelsey. You know, I mean, she, terrible, the terrible late, model, terrible model. But there you go. Well, it's the old, it's the old Dreicher model. It's the old fine yeah. cast Dreicher before she got a glow up. And you yeah. know, you take that to get the 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 t- potential ten dryads every turn. But you're yeah. right. Like if I'm taking her once per battle, uh, I could fail that. Um, yeah like outside of like assuming that i fail it would i take her for these abilities no i'd probably go an arch rev i'd go some other type of unit um because i think to where was it josh craig mentioning do you think the lady of vines plays something that's a little bit different to the rest of the faction yeah. and i would tend to agree yes i would say that it's not a synergistic hero because you're exactly because you're bouncing and fading again and again and again and therefore having that five up 12 inch five up bubble it's good, but it doesn't see so you're not you're not jumping into a position, tagging people in place and then grinding. You are you're hitting and running, and so it doesn't really fit with that. So I I, I mean I'm still writing lists of her in. Um like that's still still happening, and I think there is still that flex there. But I, yeah, I think I think if you're writing properly competitive, then unfortunately she gets dropped out too too easily. Yeah, like you, you're you're spoiled for choices. You're almost like Stormcast heavy, where you just have so many great hero choices. Where it's just you just don't have enough points to run all the heroes. Yeah. Like I would love to run a double Warsong Revenant. I'd love to then have Durthu. I'd love to have X and Y, and then all of a sudden I have no points. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What about Gossamid Archers? So you got them in the box. People thought they were OP. People were like, they're busted. Uh, if you charge them, Unleash Hell is going to kill the whole world. Now, most people seem to have dropped them for whatever reason. Um, where think, do you stand with Gossamids? I think that they have a role in teams is what I think I've ultimately come to the decision on. I think if you're writing a balanced list that you want to go 5-0 and at a tournament, then they're just too pricey. Um, I think five doesn't do enough work, and so therefore you need to take either two fives or, or in my opinion, a ten, um, and then that's 440 points that you're spending on them. And in an army where you don't have many options, you don't have a lot of points to play with, that's just too much spent on, on a unit which is ultimately just 20 wounds on a five-up save. Um, and you come up against Storm Fiends, and Storm Fiends will just go, right, well, they're dead, um, just like that. Or... or Iron Drakes or whatever, like there's in 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 singles, there's too much counter to it. But in teams, they are they're undoubtedly a um uh, a good counter to a lot of armies. But same as Lady of Vines, you do have that chance of rolling uh, rolling a one. I played against uh, I believe it was Dan uh, in this mirror I played, and he rolled a one first turn. I, I put my my uh, revenant cavalry um, up the board, revenant seekers up the board, charged some tree revenants and the um, Gossamid archers, thinking right, well I'll just kill the tree revenants. He rolled the one, so I just went into them and, and killed all by one first turn. Um, I do something which has maybe come around a little bit to them. Their spike ability on their on their shooting has got real potential, and so I have written some singles lists with them in because is it D three models? Is that is that yeah the, yeah? So the on spike? a six, they've got they've got two attacks each, and on a six, they do D three mortals, which is effectively what you're looking for. And uh, like I was playing, having a play with them because I want to see what they were like as a unit um, against Phil Phil Marshall, um, and shooting against a Varangard unit uh, and did 17 mortal wounds um, from from nine from nine Gossamids, um, which obviously is massively swingy, but like mad, like if it, if it goes, it goes. Um, and so maybe they've got a role there. Like there's, the, I think before I saw them as they've got one role and that role is not reliable enough, i.e. there is a screen which jumps backwards. Um, but now I kind of go, well, I'll actually, if, if against some armies, I'm kind of, 
maybe with war singer i'm going right that's a 27 inch threat range because they get plus three to the movement uh you've got you've got your um your cruciator or you've got your uh yeah you've got your key model that i can just put them and go yeah oh, i've spiked um good game um yeah that's that, that, that that's that key thing taken off basically so i uh, yeah I, I i still think they're too pricey i i think i'd like them slightly cheaper but um but i i i'm not as down on them as i, I was initially i'm glad you mentioned the cruciator because that was what i was thinking is uh is if you're playing because night certainly risen up to power as well and a lot of that power comes from the cruciator combining with the spirit host who bodyguard for the cruciator who are then doing scarlet doom with the blade geist and yeah. being able to shut that down for Kurnoth is very, very difficult. And you have a lot yeah. of rend-based attacks. So yeah. having some ability to, to reach out and touch them and pull down that Cruciator might be the key to success for Nighthaunt. But I think you're right. I think my initial take was that they are a little bit too pricey, um, especially for how frail they are. They are a glass cannon, yeah. um, super frail. And if your opponent has some range damage, they can take them out before you get the, the, the value out. And easily tip, very easily. Quick question from uh, Face and Bases is talking, and, and I saw this a lot in the old book where it was almost like forcing you to buy three, four, even five sets of Wildwoods. And I thought that was a big tax for Sylvaneth players. And yeah. they're not easy to transport. They're yeah. all spindly. And like, it was a crap experience. Have you found all, that uh, is the case with I, Sylvaneth? Like, are you taking multiple Wildwoods? Yeah, I think it's still there. Unfortunately, you don't need as much as you did before because because you've got these overgrown terrain pieces, which which do do balance some of that out. I think you uh, your first deployment of a wood will always be three pieces, so you've always going to need three there, and then through the game you're probably deploying two, three more. So you definitely don't need as much as you did before. Uh, the issue remains that if you're a properly competitive player, there's that one piece of the wildwood which is really small compared to the other two pieces, and so you want I want. I want three of those basically to be able to put where I can. And so therefore I, I'm buying, I'm, I'm happy that I've got a few boxes of bought, but yeah, you, do, you realistically, you don't need more than three boxes of woods. Um, but it depends how much of a try hard you are. Uh, so there, it's, it's still a pain. Like it is, it is still like I, I went there, when I had my sabbatical, I was running um, Archaeon and friends and it was just one box. I had the, in this, in this uh, filing cabinet, basically box, which I just take with me to events. And, and that was it. Um, and now I'm like, right, well, I've got my army, I've got my wild words, I've got so much more with me. I, I, I say it's not as bad as it once was, uh, but it, it, um, it's still a, it is still part of the nature. Like, and if you are someone, for example, who gets the train everywhere and often or plane or whatever to your tournaments, like I'm sure some of your viewers overseas do, maybe it's not the right army because they are, unfortunately, unfortunately. It is what it is. Like you, you take as many woods, and you know Warhammer Games Club mentioning that you know nine pieces of woods is probably all you need. So you're probably right. Um, obviously, more competitive players will get more woods to get more options on the base sizes and kind of get the the trees on the table where you need them to. But it's it's up to you. No different to like the the summoning pool. You know, do I need to go out buy all Alarial summoning immediately? No, restrict yourself. But you know, don't put the pressure on. Um, a couple of other burning questions because I said that they'd be rapid fire, and this has not been rapid fire. But I've, appre <laughs> I've appreciated your insight, so like let, that's on me. Um, you got your bugs. So you got two versions of the bugs. You've got the Spite Rider uh, Lancers and the Revenant Seekers. 
thoughts like them don't like them if i'm going to buy a box which one am i going to build first so um again like my opinions have changed on these and revenant cab to begin with i thought i thought that um i thought they weren't great force to hit hurts basically on the revenant cavalry the revenant seekers uh but now my my list of choice and what i think is the best list in the game is uh, nine of them so nine revenant seekers in one unit i know other people have been running two six for a similar kind of role nine revenant seekers are just so so uh hard to to deal with um so nine revenant seekers they rally on a five up and they've got an ability which on a two up they return a uh, model to uh any unit which is five wounds or less within 12 which is includes themselves uh, and then you've got a spell which can bring one back. And so in the uh, in the past, I've been down on three and then I'll rally three, bring back one from a spell and bring back one from something else uh, from the um, uh, their own ability as well. And you can only on eight. And there's the, this unit of nine is 45 wounds, uh, moving 12. Like it's it's really hard to deal with. The games I've lost is when I, I've lost them. Uh, well, one game I've lost is when I lost uh, them really early on. And so that is their weakness. But I think Revenant Cavalry are really good as a as an anvil unit, which also does deal damage. I think we spoke earlier on as well, and this is, this, is, this is relevant for both of them. I think Spike Rider Lancers, I think their damage is just slightly too low. Um, I think what they gain, i.e. two inches of movement and always strike first, you don't really care about. Like always strike first, you tend to be hitting with one unit and then going away. So the fact that they always strike first, um, I think it is just on the charge, um, is kind of irrelevant. You you don't that's not giving you what you need from them, basically. Um with with as we mentioned earlier, good players will block off your wildwoods to stop you from teleporting to them. That doesn't block off fading away though. So you can still strike and fade away to your to your home wildwood. And so that's why I think cavalry are very good, because actually I think if you're playing, the more you play with a book and then play against good players, you're like, all right, I've got six I've got six scythes or I've got dirty. Um, and actually a good player will just stop you getting anywhere with them. But the bugs, the bugs can go up the board um, and they can hit 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 something and then strike and fade. And you can position in the right place, be like, right, if I get the next turn, I'm I'm 16 away, so that's a four-inch charge. But if they get the turn, their movement's six. I'm 10 inches away from their from their charge and miles away. So you can you can play. It gives you something which I think, uh, as I say, good players will start countering other ways to play. So they give you that. So I think they are they are very very much needed and are a very good book for me. It's rev uh, revs over spites, uh, rev cav over spike cav. Um, Spike Cavs are a little bit annoying. Not annoying. It's a little bit of a shame because Spike uh, Spike Cavs, I, I thought, could be brilliant uh, if we entered a Galatian vet world because Spikes uh, in, in Bounty Hunters are bonkers because they've got more attacks. They're all one damage each. So, like, if you if you run them through uh, damage calculators, then their damage just goes off the charts, basically. Um, but we're not in a Galatian vet's world, are we? Um, there's, there's, you, you all, like, um, if you look at the top list at Carnage, the, the big... Uh, Today in, in the UK at the moment, then so many lists at the top just just basically have got none or, or very few, and so there's there's that's why I think spikes uh, are just not quite there. But as I say, revenue cabinet. If you if you are a silver player and you proxy it or whatever, try the nine out. It's such a nice feeling that first time where you kind of you put them somewhere, you take the hit, you lose six, and then you roll your rally. I, I lost four the other week. I rolled my rally, rolled four or five ups. So I'm like, all right, well that's that's the whole unit back then just like that that's that's yeah you've you've committed to doing 20 wounds to me and i've just got all the back next turn and like basically if they're if they're not 
uh, dead, then they'll be fully healed by the end of the game, which is which is very good. And, and that's also part of it as well, that by the end of the game, as you play in this trading back and forth, that they just get stronger and stronger because they are going to be full strength. And like when you get to turn four, you've got this unit of nine cav, which are moving 12 and your opponent's lost a lot of their army. They're just getting better and better. Um, I love them. And that, and that's not even acknowledging Harvest Boon that can give them the pre-game move of 12 yeah. inches. There's so much more list tech that we're going to touch in a second because yeah. I'm literally about to change the um to change the screen. But I'm going to throw um I'm going to throw a bone to one of our listeners asking, do you have any ally recommendations for Sylvaneth? Do you tap into the ally pool at all? And if so, yeah. what would you tap into? So the one which everyone um, has has jumped on quite rightly, um, I think I saw Jonathan earlier on mentioning it, is the Battle Mage. Um, so Battle Mage from Gur. So uh, this is a bit of a cities weird of, one. So Cities of Sigma. Yeah, Cities of Sigma, Battle Mage. Um, uh, put, take the Gur one. So apparently we're playing Gur at the moment. Those narrative of you amongst that would be aware of that, but apparently this GH is in Gur, if you knew, uh, which means that the Battle Mage gets plus one to cast. Great straight away. And the spell for the Battle Mage from Gur is um plus two uh to charge um uh, and run as well which is again great for, for great for sylvaneth uh, and it's is only 100 points um so if you're looking like our, our branch which is 130 points uh so this is actually a cheaper spell caster than the branch which arguably with a better spell than the branch which a lot of the time uh, and has an, an eight plus one to cast um so battle mages is, is brilliant um other allies i think uh you're often looking for screens. Uh, I think that that we haven't seen people taking them yet, but I think actually um, just some Cities of Sigma chaff, uh, again, is good, or Aether Wings, that kind of thing you're still looking for. Um, but I, th- I think um, I've seen a couple of people taking Drake Spawn Knights, for example, as a three-up save cavalry unit that you can just string out in front of your board and move up there. So there's, there is some play there. You... you um, Having units that don't rely on Wildwoods has got the potential there. I have run a couple of lists with two sharks um, because their damage is is really good from shooting. It's it's similar profile to bow hunters really. Um, I think I'm probably better than bow hunters uh, for points. The issue I found with, with sharks, which I think is reflective of a lot of the allies you might think about taking, is that they can't use Wildwoods. Um, they can't do that teleport, and you might not want it a lot of the time, but the way the army, the way I'm playing with the army is that it's kind of this moving around all over the place. And Sharks, despite being moving 14, don't quite play that in the same way. I think you do find yourself missing that. If you're if you're taking a, a unit that you actually want to do work with, you'll suddenly be like, right, well, actually, I, I kind of wish they were on the other side of the board, or I wish I could just charge here and then fade out there. And allies, obviously, you can't do that with. So I, I think Battle Mage is good. Uh, I think I'm sure there's other options there for, for small support or for chaff. But I, I tried to uh, the prime for a little bit. I was just like, this just doesn't doesn't work, basically. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's prime time. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I was, I was going to bring that up because one of the units that I've absolutely loved in Stormcast lately is the Chariot. You know, it's 12 wounds, 160-odd points, three-up mm. armor save, mortals on the charge like a stone horn. You might not need it. And I was going to segue exactly into is prime time still a thing. I'm seeing prime pop up a lot in Seraphon. Um what's your take on prime and then we go into the rules we are going to the rules it's taking us 50 minutes but we're getting into the rules laurie i think um i think with the prime it should work as i said i included um uh included him in the list i took to the one day a while ago 
because he should work, right? Like he teleports off the board. He's therefore got great movement. He gives you something as an option. Uh, the mortals helps of all the mortals you can do via the war song and things like that. The issue I found is that you, again, you're an elite army and you need things to be able to pull their work, pull their weight. And I was basically just 325 points for just the D3 mortals is what I was really relying on and really using. I wasn't using anything else from him enough. And he's still basically, he's like Dirty. He's got, you've got three, five or seven attacks, which are threes and twos. He's going to roll ones when you need him to not roll ones. And in fact, he's only three damage. So even more than Dirty, like you get two through. I was like, all right, well, that's, that's six damage. Great. Um, that's, that's not enough. So I, I thought he really should fit, but from playing with him, I'm not, I'm not sure he does actually. I just want to call out this comment and then we'll segue. I think Aetherwings are a good choice of screens. I agree with you, by the way, Inquisitor. Um, you mentioned the Battle Mage already for the charge. And because it's a spell, you can cast it. If you fail it, then you can kind of hold back your strike and fade if you're yeah. trying to be aggressive. Um, the Rune Lord for the plus two to unbinds is very nice, especially if you use a heroic action, then you can do two of them. Um, uh, to unbinds at plus two, which is awesome. And uh, something that I've been recently including in my list is the Knight in Cantor for the once per game auto unbind. So if you don't want to risk it and you're finding people just purple sunning you or using the the boatman Lachlan, the soul seeker, and is bridging up, I don't know, Thankwall on plus five, which is what I experienced the other day, you can just go no. So you yeah. don't chance it. I, I agree with that. I, I find myself, I'm more, this says more about me than anything else. Um, I'm, I'm averse to taking stuff that I won't use in most of my games. Um, and that's the thing with, with Rune Lord and with the Encanto. The Encanto in particular, I just like, right, that, that's that's true. But then I might play against something which I don't care about the auto unbind. I might play against um, Nighthorn or Nurgle where I'm like, right, well, the auto unbind is helpful here, but it's, it's that's all I'm taking this Encanto for. It seems a waste. Yeah. By the way, Nighthorn's taking Purple Sun because there's literally no impact back to them because I don't care about the Ren, right? But I get, I get what you're saying. It's it's more about... But don't they, um, don't they auto-cast that? Well, I mean, if they got uh, Reichnor, they essentially auto-cast it. So but they've, got, but, no, they've got an artifact. I think they've got an artifact which lets them auto-cast oh, it. Oh, yeah. So, so, so the plus two Rune Lord might come in. Yeah, yeah, to get rid of it later on. They'll do that, yeah. All right, I'm bringing up the rules. All right, so we've got a, a bunch of rules. I'm going to talk about groves in a minute. Well, I've actually got the groves on screen, so I'll get your perspective on the groves. Um, but very much, you've got a whole bunch of rules. You've got places of power, which is about essentially picking three pieces of terrain that are on the battlefield that are wholly outside enemy territory, and you tag them, and when you tag them, they are uh, in your hero phase. You can heal one wound for each friendly Sylvaneth unit that's wholly within nine inches of this overgrown terrain. Um, like it, build around it. Any thoughts you want to add on? Um, and uh, yeah, yes, Lex, I think it's the midnight time. Thank you um, for that. Um, we've already talked a lot about places of power and how those three pieces of terrain support you. Um, and, and it means you don't need to take as many wildwoods um, and you've got other access points. Is there anything you'd want to add to places of power? I feel like we've already talked about this a lot. I think, yeah, I agree. I think we've basically covered, I, I would just say that the healing one wound is whilst, uh, whilst not a lot, it's nothing to, uh, to sniff at. Um, I think, um, it, I think damned is really helpful for the um for the the book as a whole. Um, I think that you um stuff like Unfunters with the Arch Revenant or with the the um Revenant Cavalry as well. Like you're 
if you can find dam, then it's good to take it. And this helps with that as well. Like this, this healing one wound is, is, is good on top of everything else. So do try to remember that. I think I forget about it a lot, but I think uh, trying to remember and having tokens um, from pro painted or wherever you get your tokens from, um, then uh, having some tokens, which really clearly start signpost to you. Um, that's my place of power. Then I think that is, is worth doing. Really good comments by your friends, uh, Warhammer, Warhammer Games Club, saying the healing is great for Nurgle. So you could remove yeah, the disease that's token yeah. off. Um, that's a really good call. Really good call. Uh, in addition to the healing, right? Yeah. Um, you, you've got a couple of extra rules. You've got the walk the hidden path. So you've always been able to teleport essentially from one wood to another. As you mentioned, you, can't, you, can, only, is it, you can only do it once per turn, right? So yeah. you can't do multiple teleports throughout the it's, – it's, it's every turn. Yeah. Um, anything you want to add to that? I mean, it's pretty pretty stock standard. You you, yeah. you can te the, the, teleport from the, wildwoods or overgrown terrain. Yeah, the thing, as you say, we've we've kind of covered this a lot in 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 getting to this point, basically, and the options from it, how you counter it. Um, what I would mention is that I think it's really tempting to think that a lot of the time, and you will be doing a lot of the time walking the hidden paths with the same unit that you strike and fade with. So the classic will be, you know, you teleport a unit, you charge, you teleport out. Um. In the end game and in terms of the scenario, I think it's worth noting that you can use that as, as effectively as two separate teleports to the same place. So let's say you're playing, let's say you're playing Realmstone Cash and it's turn three and the middle objective is split into two different places. Um, you might teleport out with your with your dryads or with your ancient or whatever, like one, one we're not ancient because they can teleport to others, but your dryads or um your war song or whatever is teleporting uh, using walking the hidden paths. But then what you're doing with your second unit, your six Kurnoths or your Revenant Cav or whatever, is you're charging and then you're striking a fading to the same place. So I think something which which is missed with this is that you, you have actually got two teleports there. Um, uh, and to, to think that those teleports don't have to be used from an offensive point of view, they can be used from a, from a movement point of view to get you where you need to be. And it, and it might be that you actually, you know, you charge in, you charge in with your 10 dryads or you charge in with something which you know is going to do no damage. Like your Lady of Vines, maybe you charge in with her, knowing that you're not going to hurt them, but you need them to be on the other side of the board. And actually you've teleported one thing already. So this is the way you're you're teleporting your other thing is by charging them to get that that strike and fade away. Um, apart from that, I think we've spoken about it. Incredible ability. Um, really just so nice to play with. Like once you get used to playing with it, as I mentioned earlier on, it's quite hard to, get used to not playing with it because it gives you so much flex. Yeah. The fact that you can do it with overgrown terrain is just add another dimension to, to Sylvaneth, but instead of going through strike and fade, which is the, basically after the um, uh, once per turn in your combat phase, uh, immediately after a Sylvaneth unit, wholly within nine inches of the overgrown or awakened wildwood is fought. Um, you can essentially teleport it out and there's some rules and you can read the screen folks. Um, but, First off, um, it's great to avoid some things like, you know, I think there's, there was a lot of discussion about, is it the Xanthar Kai snakes fighting on death? This, correct me if I'm wrong. You still, you still fade away in your turn before the snakes do their thing. I don't know. I thought that was I, good. I, I thought. But possibly. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I, uh, I hate rules, uh, minutia argument. Um, I've seen Nico, Nico in the Silver chat has explained in detail that apparently we do. Um, I think I think if I'm playing it, 
uh, I'll have a chat with my opponent and um, decide between us how we think it should currently work because I don't think there's been an FAQ on it. I might be wrong, but I don't think there's been an FAQ I, on it. I thought it was clarified, but if it hasn't been clarified yet, yeah, definitely talk to your TO um, because the ability to, to fight and then disappear in your turn only. So you need to really think about if yeah. you get double, if you get um, double turned, um, you're not going to be able to strike and fade in your opponent's turn. So whatever you put out, uh, a very good chance it's going to die. So um, you, you've got to be defensive yeah. as much as offensive in your thinking. Yeah. 100%, yeah. The question I wanted to leave, though, with, um, with strike and fade is, when you're thinking about this from a list design point of view, what are the types of units that you like to consider a strike and fade? Obviously, every unit at any time can do it, but is there a particular archetype or a thing that maybe might work better with strike and fade? Like, obviously, you want it to be a punchy unit, don't you? Basically, um, you want something which is going to hit and then and then get out there as quick as possible. Um, so you're looking at six kernels, so you're looking at maybe nine kernels if you want to be be that that. Uh, big you're looking at revenant cavalry you're looking at dirtu um uh, even looking at Larial as well like you're you're looking at your unit which you don't want to just leave hanging around uh, but you want to get in and get out uh, uh, and having having hit something and then gone out there so um yeah it's it's quite quite straightforward stuff there i i do think that as you play with a book as you develop the way you play you will realize that actually um stuff like dirtu has got it's great but has got limitations to his ability to, to fade because he's much easier to block off. Whilst I think I do think actually Alaria was brilliant for strike and fade because she's got that 16 inch move. Um, she she can get where she wants to get to hit and retreat um, uh, in a way that the six kernels or uh, or Dirtu are going to struggle with more. So you'll use strike and fade, for example, with Alarial. You won't use her to like walk the hidden paths and then kind of strike and fade. You will be thinking about her high movement, get her in position, especially with that large base and trying to keep it outside of nine from your enemy. Yeah. Um, and then use the strike and fade because you're already within, as long as you're wholly within that overgrown or awakened wildwood. I like that. It's a, it's a good way of looking at it as two different rules. I think some people look at it as like one bundle yeah. jumble. Like I teleport with the wildwoods and then I teleport away and it's yeah. the two different rules. And then if you're if you're using Strike of Fate of Valeria or with Revenant Cavalry or whatever, and you're you're moving to get there, then it means that you can use Walk the Hidden Paths for again for for the scenario for movement bases. Like you can use that to maybe you've put your War Song in one position and you now need to, and they've they're going to come for your War Song. Maybe your your opponent's got quite near to your your, your War Song. Like right, when well, the War Song's now, I'm just going to teleport to the other side of the board um, because I want her out of danger. Or you do the same with your Arch Revenant, or you do it with your bows because you want a better angle on them um and that's the thing if you're if you're going i've got a unit it's walking it's fading then you're really cutting down your options if you're going my my strike and fade unit is getting there via their movement then it gives you so much more options with with the teleport itself yeah it's, it's a great ability as well if you realize let's say for example those nine kernoth hunters or those night nine um you know revenant seekers or whatever it might be that that war of attrition is getting to your unit and you need to rally them asap you can strike and fate get them out of combat which is always one of the biggest restrictions is you know you can't rally in combat boom i'm out of combat i've strike and fade now in the next turn regardless of who wins priority i can always do rally at the start of the, the start of the hero phase so it's also um, it's also just quite nice when like you've got let's say you've got three or four of the cav left and you're in combat with something which you know is going to kill them you sort of but you'd really like to do that bit of damage to them before you go 
like maybe they've got yeah i, I don't know a unit of um protectors or, or something like that which you're, you're in combat with you can be like right my four guys they're gonna fight they'll kill a few guys and then they're gonna fade out of there i don't need to teleport them out of there in the movement phase because i'm going to do it at the end of the well, in the combat phase and then as you say then i'm going to start rallying them next turn so i think that's a really nice little ability to not have to go oh i've got two guys they really need to do some damage here but i also don't want to leave them there you can fight kill and then get out of there if you've been hit yeah yeah and this is the 4d chest that we we're talking about earlier it's yeah. not just about run forward you know it's hard enough for some people to remember to retreat let alone think about strike and fade yeah. you've got some you've got some other rules uh you've got verdant blessings so um this is the the spell that allows you to summon a wildwood on a casting value of six um great like it feels like it's something that you've always had for a long time. Um, anything you want to add to that? No, it's still still very situational. 18 inches uh, is um, is good, but three inches away from everything is quite tough. Um, that's why you might need those small pieces. But yeah, I think we've, we've, it, it is, as I say, it is what it is, basically. You make a good point that I wanted to raise is the fact that the board sizes have gotten smaller, this general handbook, and there are more objectives. If you think about 12 months ago, we were often fighting over three to five objectives on average. Now we've got battle plans that have up to eight. So to be able to out be outside of three and all of these different combinations and the fact that it's also captured invocations. I don't think that was on the old, um, yeah. the old war scroll, I think it's you know, so you're saying on like oh, annoyingly on ones, I think Prize of Galate is going to come up a lot. Um, uh, and so that's that's a kind of classic one. It's it's one or two in the in the GH. And so it's a really obvious one. And they all five of those objectives, whilst they, they activate later on, they are on the board. Whilst they're not activated yet, they are still there. So you can't put it on the like it's not like star strike in the old days where you could put it where you knew it was going to land they are actually there so you've got to avoid them so there's a, that's the thing you're right is that there's a lot of scenarios with a lot of objectives which does and then you've got terrain and it it, it does clutter things up and so yeah that's it can be tough to get those down uh, 18 inches isn't isn't by itself really doesn't really make that easy which is why I kept saying that I think the overgrown uh, uh, three terrain features that are part of your allegiance we just spoke about are more valuable. Because even if you find yourself not in a position to use Verdant Blessing, you've still got your original Wildwood. You've still got those three places of power that you've chosen at the start of the game. And depending on the battle plan and how things are going, you've also got Verdant Blessing to bring up more trees. And um, it feels like that you are growing a garden. The, the one that I really want to get your thoughts around, Laurie, is the Seasons of War. So this is something that's completely brand new to Sylvaneth, and I love it. So when you go to a tournament, you've got to choose this on your list. So it's not like it's something you can choose every battle round. Um, consider it like a sub-faction. But it's not, but it's not self-faction. Just for anyone who's new, it's not tied to your sub-faction. It's just like think about it as, as another choice about your army. Yeah. Within the season of war, you get four different options. You can um, you can be the burgeoning, you can be the reaping, you can be the dwindling, you can be the everdusk. So it's meant to represent a season of war. And within that season, you get a bunch of rules. Um, without this being story time with coach, I'm not I'm gonna ask you, I'm not gonna read them all out. Is there ones that you find yourself going towards more or ones that really stand out for you and why? So I think um, you've got, there's almost three levels here. You've got um, 
the the reaping and the dwindling, which are both go to, um, and I think are, are are really viable in their own ways. Um, both are quite straightforward. Um, you get to just either have a re-roll um, uh, from the dwindling, which is just really nice. Like that's a really straightforward one, um, and so that's quite a nice one to just just. You're always going to make use of that. You've got so many spells in the uh, in the army. Having that re-roll is really good. You can re-roll uh, a cast. A dispel or an unbind having that reroll of unbind in the age of purple sun is really helpful as well so i think dwindling dwindling's got really good game for like for your archetypal uh sylvaneth list i think dwindling just just helps basically because you could be relying on spells um for for me reaping is the one which i'm increasingly taking uh, as we've just been discussing we find ourselves relying on those overgrown terrain pieces more and more because it's hard to get down wildwoods against good players and the reaping just feeds into that makes it 12 inches rather than nine 12 inches is big, basically. So if you've got your unit of nine bugs, which, as I say, I've been running, getting them all within nine of a piece of terrain or a wildwood is quite tough. The 12 inches really helps with that. So I'd say those two are two obvious ones to go for. I think below that, you've got reaping, which is a six... Sorry, no, you've got um, uh, burgeoning, which is a six-up ward. Um more situational. I think it depends on what kind of list you're building. Um, but I think if you're building one which, which is trying to make itself more capable of taking a punch so if you are kind of going right well actually i'm taking 30 dryads um i'm taking dirthu with gnarled warriors who's got a three up uh, ethereal save um having that six up ward will actually really help with this i think maybe in the age of bounty hunters that doesn't quite work those those 30 dryads are just going to melt like it, it, i remember building lists of them and then and then just just because it's the kind of player i am i did some math on it i was like right well if i put in 20 blade guys revenants and bounty hunters what's go oh they're gonna die okay well it doesn't really matter like i don't, the tanky units don't really work at the moment so re uh, uh sorry no, no no i was gonna i was just gonna say I would like to see the burgeoning six months from now when we're in a different general's handbook. Hopefully GVs are gone. There's no Gladian veterans or Galatian veterans. And I could see a real use for like blocks of 20 and 30 dryads with a six up ward, minus one to hit. And I think is it minus one to wound as well. Super tanky on an objective within range of a wild wood getting that six up ward. They're not charging. Um, absolutely brutal. But right now you're right. Yeah, you get a six-up ward, but they're taking double damage against bounty hunters, and there's bounty hunters everywhere. Yeah, exactly. They just they they'll have their time, but uh, but I think um uh, I think I think they they will come around. Um, Everdusk. So for me, Everdusk is at the bottom. I I saw Paul just commenting there saying that like you know you can make it work, and you definitely can make it work. I just think that with most lists you build, um, you uh you really need that nine inches at least. I've just talk, spoken about how I want 12 inches a lot of the time and making it six inches for a lot of your teleports and stuff like that is really restricting. Um, I think maybe I, 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 the beauty of this book is that I'm constantly writing lists. There's so much flex and there's so many options. And currently what's going through my head is whether or not I can make Lady of Vines work with Everdusk. She's got a six inch bubble around her, uh, which counts as being within uh, um, a wildwood or overgrown. So she would give out that six is splitting there. And maybe you can have some kind of, she sits, she's got dirt through there, maybe a unit of six kernels and they've all got six is splitting. And, and maybe there's something there. maybe there's something there. Um, but I think the trade to six is splitting brilliant, really helps you, uh, obviously, but the trade is, is I think for most lists too big. So that's, that's, I'd say, let's say all four are viable. I think you'll see, uh, reaping and dwindling the most, um, versioning and Everdusk slightly less so. 
I feel like with Everdusk, you're more likely to, yes, one, the Lady of Vines getting the buff, absolutely. But I feel like it's rewarding you to go minimum size unit as opposed to, you know, those sixes and nine Kurnoth Hunters. If you're going to run a whole, I don't know, a Heartwood and you've got waves of three three model Kurnoth Hunters and, you, you know, being within six inches is not a challenge. Um, yeah, sure, great. But when you start going into sixes and nines and Alariel and even Durthu, yeah. those quite large bases, um, the the three inches makes a big difference. Like Alariel's base, for example, is over six inches by itself. I think it's 6.5 her base. So like for her to be benefiting from that, she has to be on a bit of terrain or on a wildwood um, to do that, which, which just, I think, in your head makes you realise how much a restriction that is. Yeah, I very much know her base size because as a living city player, I like I wish I yeah. could teleport with her, um, but you can't do that. And now that rule changed as well. Um, yeah. Ever dust with Kurnoths on objectives? Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's just a um, yeah. it's a base requirement and a challenge with that. Um, you, you got your sub factions. You there, there are what seven sub factions? Are there ones that stand out for you? I think for me, um, there's probably six that I would use. And Iron Bark, it's almost like why is it even there? Yeah. Um, it's but hey like in six months time maybe i don't know grungdi is going to upgrade the dwarden book and there's going to be some really yeah, cool i don't know i don't know but um yeah you're right what are your if, thoughts if, on the sub factions we, i agree entirely uh, uh iron bark uh is is now in its current form um uh, not great but you're right if if we accidentally get um a busted dwarf book then um then iron bark might come into play but the other six are brilliant i think oak and brown is more fun I think you, if you're going to go, if you're going to go that route competitively, then you actually probably want Durthu, Ancients, and Tree Lords in a different build. Um, but the ability to take three Tree Lords as battle line is incredibly cool, and the abilities which come with Open Brow are cool too. So, really good sub faction, but I do think it's more for fun. The other five, I think, are all competitively viable in their own ways. Um, I was speaking before about Harvest Boon. I think the ability to make your Revenant Seekers um, uh, uh, battle line is huge because then you can, then you can take them in the nine. Basically, I think that's that's massive. Um, I really like um, the the pregame move. I think what you're looking to do with Sylvaneth is you're looking to uh, when you can give away first turn. You don't want to get doubled. I know it makes it hard for you to put wildwoods down, but you don't want to get doubled. So as a result of that, the twelve-inch move isn't quite as good as it first seems. And um, I'll talk about that in a little bit more when it comes around to to the list which relates to that because there is some cool cool tech there. Uh, Heartwood is, I think, the most obvious, just straightforward, good build. Plus one a hit on three units. Brilliant. The fact that it unlocks Kurnos' battle line on top of that is just a juicy little bonus. But plus one to hit is so good, particularly, again, particularly with the Arch Revenant, which wants to give you plus one attack. But that's a command ability, so you can't do that and all that attack. So Heartwood kind of counters that really nicely. And it also counters the, um, I think Laurie's just dropped off for a second. I'll add him back in a sec. But with Heartwood, uh, hey, Laurie, welcome back. You're good. You're good. I was just mentioning with Heartwood, the other thing as well is we're talking about Kurnoth Hunters, is that Kurnoth Hunters with, um, again, Gladian veterans, you don't have to worry about bounty hunters and things like that because, hey, you don't need to worry about that. So can you hear me now? Sorry, my... I can hear you perfectly. I was just saying... Sorry, phone. phone 
It's all good. I told you. I told you. Like, no, no, no. Eighty percent. Eighty percent. What does it, coach know? Actually, he's only been doing this for. He's only been doing this for yeah. four years. What does he know? It didn't. It didn't die. It overheated. So that's slightly more worrying. <laughs> so yeah. So as I say, like I just, it's, it's, it's just. There's a re- the reason I haven't taken it is because it's too good, and I want to be special. Uh, <laughs> One thing, one thing I will say though is that when I look at uh, initially when I looked at Dreadwood, I got really excited till I realized that that second unit that can strike and fade had to be spite revs, and I'm not really a big spite rev fan at the moment. Like I was in the old book where like you could do the outcast battalion and get you know your minimum battle line in a in a battalion, but yeah. I look at Dreadwood and I'm like, eh, I don't want to strike and fade uh, spite revs, so- which means that whole thing is a useless to me. Yeah. So it's interesting because I think on the surface of it, I completely agree with you. Um, but uh, so Mathmello, who we should, I can't believe we've gone this long without, uh, without mentioning because he, he's been carrying on doing Silver Death through all the hard times and is uh, is a real uh, real tree lord. Um, he's been on Dreadwood and he does make a very valid point um, that the damage output of Spites is uh, on the same level or actually is better than um, uh, Stalkers for uh, Daughters of Cain. So it's the same. It's basically the same profile. It's one one less rend, but uh, but aside from that, it's sixes doing mortals to hit. It's threes, threes. Like it, it they are for their points. Their damage uh, is is actually really good. And again, they're very good in bounty hunters as well. Um, they're all one damage, three attacks each. Like I I think I agree with you on Dreadwood. I think the fact that it's once per uh, once per battle. Um, for both of those that that limits it as well and i think there's that you're right the limitation of it being spike revs and it being once per battle probably just makes it a little bit too niche to be properly viable um but like a unit of 15 spike revs like if you get plus one attack from the arch rev on them that is 60 attacks which is on average 10 mortal wounds because yeah. of because they're battle line they can now fight in two ranks really easily so that's actually quite hard to dodge like 10 mortal wounds and then uh, into a Galician vet unit is a huge amount of damage on top of that. So I, I they've got a role. Um, as and then, as Inquisitor is also mentioning, the fact that they're on thirty-two mil bases, if you're double reinforcing them to be a larger unit, yeah. while we while we're in this, um, we're not in Fondia, where are we? We're in Galet, Galay. Uh, while we're in Galay and we've got the bonds of battle, so it means you can essentially fight in two ranks. Um, this works really well because their their range is only one inch. So when you double yeah. reinforce them to fifteen. Um, Outside of this battle, this battle pack, you, you get you only get half the attacks in. So um, take advantage, I guess, while you can. To, to finish off, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. To finish off with the final two, I think Nauru is the most like if you're picking up the book for the first time. In the same way that I was talking about um, burgeoning that reroll cast, like your army really likes spell casting. So. Uh, just take Nauru. Like if you're looking for something straightforward, easy to take, not having to worry about it, Nauru just does that. Nauru gives you 3d6. You're going to use that lot. So you're going to use it to um uh, to 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 cast stuff and to get rid of stuff. So it is a uh, uh, it is a really just straightforward one. Finally, Winterleaf. Winterleaf, I think is I when I was thinking about this in advance of it, the book dropping, I thought Winterleaf is the strongest one. Not being able to retreat is massive and is such a good ability and has been the uh, the bane um, and the reason why people have hated a lot of armies like um, Change Host back in the day, the No Retreat uh, sub-faction for Zinch. Uh, Sylvaneth OG book, like my favourite favorite thing was a Tree Lord Ancient on two-up armour save, uh, ignoring Ren 1, re-rolling ones to his armour save, which you couldn't retreat from. Uh, the Rich Moria a lot. Yeah, and the Chronosman, yeah, exactly. No retreat. People people hate no retreat. 
The issue is, is that it's not how your army wants to play. As I said, you're hitting, you're retreating, you're striking, you're fading, you're, you're winning on movement. I'm not sure that you want to tag people up because I'm not sure you, you normally win that battle. And I, it's very much a caveat that I'm still not sure about that. And I, I think maybe there is a, maybe if you write the right list of Winterleaf, then that might be the most uh, powerful list out there because it's such a good ability. But certainly on the surface, um, it's, it doesn't fit with how the army wants to play. Again, fast forward six months when there's no GVs. If you're pinning down with dryads again with your minuses to hit and wound when you're in range of the, the wildwoods and you now can't retreat because you've been pinned by one dryad, yeah, I could see that you know being terror. But right now, you, you carve up battle line, especially things like dryads yeah. and even anything outside of dryads with bounty hunters. So, yeah, like I wouldn't write these off, but some of them are increased in their value currently. And currently some of the others are like, let's just wait a couple of months and see yeah. what changes. Hell, hell, actually Games Workshop said uh, every three months there's going to be re a revision to, to the General's Handbook. So who knows? Maybe Bounty Hunters will go from plus one to damage to plus one to wound. Who knows? I don't. Who knows exactly? Yeah. Laurie might. Sorry, right. I know. <laughs> uh, you did mention your battle line. Look, you know, I think it's great. You, if you want to use your harvest boon, you can definitely do your lances and your seekers. Kurnoth hunters for me, especially because they're five wounds, that means you can whole, avoid this whole GV type stuff. Um, your spike revs in Dreadwood and um, your, your tree revs and your dryads are always battle line. I think for me as and well, tree revs are so bloody good. They're so good. Uh, and you have missed off tree lords as well. Tree lords can be battle in an oaken, bro. Yes, but, I know, did forget it off. I, I forgot yeah. it off the video, and I just I've still forgotten it. Yes, yes, tree yeah, lords yeah. are in Oakenbrow. Yeah, um, just one point because someone said it there, and it's a really good point. Tree lords um, have got an ability which, uh, if one of their uh, attacks hits something, then they can't pile in, and that in Winterleaf can be brilliant because you can tag something. Um, uh, you, it's got a three inch range in that attack as well, so you could hit some hit some chaff, pile into Archaeon hit him with your attacks and all of our good attacks are one inches really he doesn't kill you and then he's tagged in combat with you and then and then what's great is that you can then next turn you can uh make him fight last so then you can just do it again so there's definitely play there with winterleaf um but but it's maybe not yet but yeah as i say i think i think what's part of i think this is this is one of the best terms out there and this is part of it is that you have got such flex in your battle line options um you don't you don't find yourself going oh god i've got attacks and then when you attack what your attacks is is it's true evidence which are probably some of the best battle line in the game because they can teleport anywhere around anywhere around the board um I just want to call out one comment from the chat because it's actually a good counter argument to something we've already mentioned, or maybe I mentioned it. Morgan mentioning that uh, Winterleaf uh, is a good counter potentially to Nighthaunt. Yeah. Um, so with Scarlet Absolutely. Doom, they're doing their mortals on the charge and Nighthaunt as an allegiance can can retreat and charge. So um, would I, I would I take Winterleaf just to combat Nighthaunt? No. But is the ability worthwhile against other factions? Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's also a point there that like when you're no on every at the moment and they are a good a good book. So when you're writing your list, you have to think right. How am I beating Nighthorn? I think if you take Winterleaf, you almost don't have to think that because it's such a good counter to Nighthorn. You can kind of when you're writing a Winterleaf list, you go okay. Actually, 
don't have to worry about uh, about what I want. My my sub faction gives me such play into them, then I can build a list how I want, really. Um, and that's nice because then because I'll write a list with like six kind of hunters with scythes and be like, right, they're, they're going to do a lot of work. And then I'll just go, yeah, and then I hit Nighthorn and they're damage one because of the Cruciator. Their rend is completely useless because of uh, Ethereal. And then I, that quite often makes me kind of almost bin off a list if I'm kind of going, right, my, my scythes are going to do all the work for me. Um, but then if you're taking it in Winterleaf, maybe you go, right, well, then they might not kill this unit, but they will just tag it in combat and then just grind it out, basically, whilst I win elsewhere. So I, I think, yeah, as I say, I think Winterleaf do have, does have either in teams or, or it does have flex. Um, but yeah, loads loads of really good battle line options there. Um, it's great. Yeah, no, you, you've got a lot of great options. Do you have any favorite, uh, let's start with the command traits. Do you have any favorite command traits? Like if you're going to pick one, what's the, what's your favorite from the, the hero options? So Spell Slinger is bonkers and is possibly one of the few things in the book which could do with a slight change downwards. Um, so Spell Slinger, you can, when you cast a spell, you can put it through a wildwood. Not not an overgrown terrain feature. feature. Um, uh, you can put it through a wildwood. Uh, and that, with a war song, particularly with a war song revenant with Arcane Tome, can be mad because there's three spells cast through a wildwood. So you can put a war song right in the corner of the board, outside of Unbind range, and then part of what makes it so good is that you can summon up a wildwood from a wildwood and then cast spells out of that. So your Warsong Revenant, who, if you're a good player, you probably would put cogs next to, certainly what I do, regrowing all their casts, they go outside of Unbind range, summon up a wildwood. From that wildwood, I might do the Warsong's War Scroll spell. So I might do a little bomb from that new wildwood. I might bring back a, uh, a Revenant Cavalry uh, model or a kind of hunter, again, from the corner of the board, doing all this through my wildwoods. Um, I might do Mystic Shield. I might do whatever. Like, But you're, you're, you're doing all of this just from miles away, um, which, is, which is really strong uh, and can make it very hard to counter. So I think that's, that's, that's very, very powerful, spotting it. Um, and yeah. is the obvious one to go for. I also really like Warsinger as well. Um, adding three inches to to the move is really a really good ability, particularly on things like Durfu and Kern of Hunters. Them going from five to eight inches move is good. But even on Revenant, Revenant Cavalry, going from 12 inches to 15 inches really makes a difference. Uh, and then if you use it on Alarion, and you go from uh, from 16 to 19, she's just that. I mean, 19 is mad. 19 is really impossible to, to block. And then the other one, which I think is good. Sorry. No, I was, I was just, oh yeah, keep going, keep going. I, you, I, think, you're, I think you're about, I think you're about to acknowledge the one that I was going to acknowledge. Yeah, and then Nard Warrior is 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 great on, and you've got different play there. As I say, I think in Winterleaf um, on maybe Durthu, um, I, I quite like that. I think um, as long as you can roll three ups, then that's really good. There's also uh, an idea which which I've had, and I know a few other people have had. Um, uh, Florian in the in Silver Left chat. Uh, if you take Nard Warrior on a Tree Lord Ancient, so that's a three up and three or save. There's the spell which we'll get to in a second, which makes him heal a wound at the end of each phase. Um, so that can make him very tanky as well. Uh, and then you go in Winterleaf and you can't retreat from that. There's definitely play with Nard Warrior as well. I think the other three, oh, of the other ones, Radiant Spirit. If you really hate Purple Sun, then Radiant Spirit does offer that. But it is a four up, and, and it's only on your—it's only on your general, right? No, it's holy even twelve. It's, 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 holy. it's the bubble of the general. Yeah. So if you maybe if you're taking a and you're really worried about her getting purple sunned off, 
um, then you take Radiant Spirit. I've thought about it a couple of times. Just a four up seems too unreliable for me. Yeah, I think I'd rather go in to get like a Master of Magic and try to unbind it as opposed to uh, ignore it on a four up. Speaking of artifacts, uh, we have six different options. So you've got the Greenwood Gladius, you've got the Crown of Fell uh, Boas, Seed of Rebirth, Acorn of Ages, uh, Lunath Lamp, and the Vesperal Gem. Do you have any standout options here? And would you take Warlord to get like more of these? Um, they're all, apart from Lunath's Lamp, I think they've all got play. I, I think that they're all good, but not great. I think is my summary of them. Greenwood Gladius is is such an auto for Dirthy, uh, which I think is part of the perhaps part of the problem with him is that if you're taking him, you want Gladius, which means that you're you're almost starting off with zero artifacts because you probably do want another artifact somewhere else. And if you're taking Dirthy, you, you're taking Gladius basically. But it is great on his main attack because you know D three extra attacks doesn't have to be near a wild or anything like that. So that's great. So that's really good. Um, the that that's the most obvious one alongside that best gem is still really good um what's what hurts gem slightly from the old tome is that in the old tome we used to have the war song knowing all spells mm. um and now that they don't she doesn't he doesn't um then uh you have you can only auto cast the spell which you've chosen for the war song which means that you've you've just lacked versatility basically in the same one um, a good point by Inquisitors, but I think that's ignoring the fact that you can best day for Durthu. So he can be on plus one to wound anyway, can't he? What about, what about Acorn of Ages? Like, do you see your use of uh, maybe like taking a turn one, you know, you set up your initial Wildwood, you've got your three um, overgrown terrain features. Would you then, you know, get first, take like Acorn of Ages to chuck down another Waked Wildwood and then double down maybe with Verdant I, Blessing or as a fail safe for Verdant Blessing? I think 12 inches is too short. Um, I think that there, there might be a play there. Again, again, I'm not saying it, I think I'm not saying it's a bad artifact, because it might be that you you do it with a tree lord ancient, and your tree lord ancient has a free one anyway. So you you can use that free one to begin with, and then you teleport out the board, and then later on in the game when you need that wildwood down, then you activate the acorn, um, uh, and and that could be really good. Um, as I say, I think the issue is um, is that twelve inches is is quite limited, um, because particularly if you when you, having played a few games of it, where you're setting up the way you're deploying, you really need more than twelve inches because you're quite often looking to go over a set of terrain over an objective and then squeezing in your world would be on that and 12 inches just doesn't do that 12 inches quite often you're well, normally you're hitting a hitting a a, a terrain um a tra sorry a um an objective you hit an objective which really limits where you can put it and then effectively you're adding that that new uh world with just really close to where you're starting off so i think acorn doesn't it's not quite good enough. Uh, it's a bit of a shame that it's at the start of the hero phase as well because um you could um use uh, launch in the cell seeker to teleport up the um at the board and then drop it as paul says if it was the end of the movement phase or even if it's the end of the hero phase then you could do it um one little bit of clever stuff with the acorn which which i don't think you need but might be helpful in in the long run 
one of the Sylvaneth battle tactics is uh, pick a enemy model. Um, well, a couple of them work around Wildwood, so pick an enemy unit within six inches of the Wildwood. Obviously, you do that at the start of your hero phase. This also happens at the start of your hero phase. So you could drop the Acorn next to a next to a unit, an enemy unit, and then go. Um, I'm killing that one, and that would be a battle tactic. And maybe if we, as you say, we might enter a GH where they've got really hard battle tactics as opposed to just hard ones, and that might be quite worth it for, for that, basically. Um, yeah. I can see the chat's been talking, and then there's a little a mini debate happening in the chat. You know, the if your Acorn of Ages could be a great replacement for your, your Tree Lord Ancient, it also might not be as good as a Tree Lord Ancient. And I think you've made some good comments about the restrictions of a 12-incher. And if you are going to use Acorn of Ages, it's really like a turn two and beyond type thing. So you can't do aggressively turn one, chuck down a wood. Um, it's much better off, uh, you know, holding off for at least a turn. You're in a better position, start of the hero phase, chuck out that second wood. Yeah, I, I, 100%. I, I think, unfortunately, it's a point which is worth mentioning here. I think, unfortunately, what's better than all of these six is um, Arcane Tome, yeah. which which is crap. Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of the fact that I, I find myself, uh, the, the go-to artifact I'm taking is Arcane Tome, either making my War Song a three-caster, which, if I'm casting spells through Wildwoods, is, is ridiculous, or turning my Arch Rev into a Wizard is is too good to ignore. So, actually, most of the recent... The only exception to that is if I'm taking Dirthly, I'm taking Gladius. But otherwise, I'm not really taking any of these five, unfortunately. I'm taking... Uh, yeah, my, my Stormcast hero is taking Master of Magic and Arcane Tome, and I hate it. Uh, they should stop nerfing my dragon uh, abilities for like the hundredth sure. time. But yeah, like I, sure. I I feel you when you say that they're good artifacts, but they're just not as good sometimes as universal yeah. stuff. I think I think the, the the contrast at least is that our command traits are incredible. I'm never I'm never thinking of taking Master of Magic. I'm never thinking of doing that. I'm always taking one of our command traits. But it is a shame that our artifacts, despite being good, just tomes better. You got six spells to choose from. What are your top two? Uh, Verdurous Harmony and um, bringing stuff back. Brilliant. As I talked about, bringing back a kind of hunter, bringing back uh, one of your cavalry models is incredible. Really, really strong. Um, uh, and then um, that's that's the go-to for me. And then lots of the other ones have got uh, use depending on what your army is. If you're taking Tree Lords or Dirthy, Regrowth is still brilliant. Only on a five, which is great. Heal D6 is amazing. Tree Song has now got real flex because it's nine inches from a wildwood, a bit of rend. Problem with Tree Song is <clears throat> second you hit Nighthorn, you're like, right, well, that's good. Glad I took that. What, what a great spell. Um, so I think that's where Tree Song um, has a little bit of limitations there. Um, and then Throne of Vines, as we mentioned just now, if you take Throne of Vines, if you take Vesperal Gem, which allows you to autocast, you put that on your Tree Lord Ancient, you autocast it because it is a nine to cast it, but then you're healing a ridiculous amount because it's, it's heal one wound at the end of each phase. And remember, there's a lot of phases in each turn. So you've got hero phase, movement phase, shooting phase, charge phase, combat phase, battleshock phase. So six a turn you're healing. So if you, and it's until your next hero phase. So that, that could give you a lot of healing. And again, in Winterleaf, that could, could do some work for you. And Dwellers Below, just going to briefly mention, great into Nighthorn, because that's the counter to Tree Song, that Dwellers Below, actually, that unit of 30 Blade Geist Revenants will lose nine nine Revenants to, to Dwellers, not right? Yeah, the, the counter-argument to that, though, is that there's a lot of armies that are running units of 5, 10, yeah. 3. So yeah. if you are going to cast it on those types of units, then you might get one, yeah. two mortal wounds. Who cares? Um, but <laughs> I, I think... Why 
sorry, why just very briefly, why no, just to kind of re-emphasize Alaria's value is that she's the only one who knows all six of them. And this is a very versatile uh, uh, law. And so having someone who knows all of them is actually really good. Yeah, and Inquisitor mentioning that, you know, Vernus Harmony can, you know, bring back things like, you know, Dryads, tree, tree Revs, Spite Revs, and get more models back. But to your point, just putting it on a uh, Kurnoth Hunter or one of your, your your Seekers or your Lancers just gives you so much more value than bringing back a One Wound Idiot. Yeah. But, agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Hundred percent agree. Uh, and I'm not paying Laurie, by the way, to agree with me. Um, we're just like we're just in sync. Uh, in do sync. you like any of the grand strats, or are you finding yourself just using the battle pack? Battle pack. I think um, take what theirs is takes what's theirs is really good for us from the battle pack, which is um, more in their deployment zone than they have. You've got tree runes, you've got teleports, you've got fast units in the arch revenant. I think um, take what theirs is a really good one. If you had to choose one of the grand strats from the book, would it be what Roots of Victory? Like, what would you, what would I think you choose so. as the one? I think you do Roots of Victory. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. It will, yeah, it might be interesting in future GHs as, as the grand strats become harder or don't become harder. I don't know. Um, that so you might find yourself going for Roots of Victory. I, we talked about it a little bit in the Inception chat, and I think, um, doable and then you see all enemy units must be more than six inches like that's tough um yeah yeah um would you chris class mentioned asking would you take the war song now and this is a bit of a spoiler on the four lists that you got you've given to us <laughs> you think that war song look i really like the, the area of effect model wounds so i wouldn't yeah, drop the brilliant. war song but where no, do you stand yeah. yeah i think war song's brilliant Awesome, really, really strong. As I say, particularly of Arcane Tome and Spellsinger. Um, I think if you take if you take Warsong, Cogs, Arcane Tome, Spellsinger, you put them in the corner of the board, um, and they sit there casting three casts, re-rolling those casts, plus one to cast, because you can normally get yourself within nine inches um of an overgrown terrain piece. Um, and you just you just whack them out of the board. It's it's I, I think it actually largely also largely makes redundant the need for Acon of the Ages, or in my opinion, the need for the Tree Lord Ancient. I know you're saying there's that whole discussion going on. I think the answer to the discussion, in my opinion, is the War Song, basically. Because with Spellsinger, he's casting up Wildwoods from existing Wildwoods, plus one to cast re-rolling. So it's on a five of a re-roll, which maths-wise is like 95% or something like that. Um, and that's 18 inches because it's a spell, the, the spell we talked about from a wildwood, and is if you put him far enough out of the way, is unlikely to be unbound. So I think War Song is, is very, very good, particularly with that combo. Um we still 305. So I don't think I don't think there's anything in the book, perhaps with the exception of tree revenants, which I also take um because everything's a bit pricey. Um but uh but yeah, I think I think War Song is very good. Yeah, so do I battle tactics do you maybe just give me an overview instead of looking at every single rule and every single interaction do you find that you use the battle tactics often um when you do when you do use the battle tactics are there ones that stand out for you obviously other than others or do you find yourself just sticking to the pack so i am um, the the most recent two day i went to banned tone battle tactics so of late i've been playing without them to prep for that um they're really good. Um, uh, you've got one which uh, is pretty close to auto, and then there's a lot which are quite situational. Um, but they are worth knowing if you if you're if you're 
tournament scene, if your local scene uh, allows and is happy with uh, tone battle tactics, then there's about three of them, which I think is worth knowing, maybe four actually. Um, uh, so I, I think they, they are, they, as I say, there's one which is which is a go-to, which is Harness the Spirit Paths, which allows you to, to do a charge after teleporting, which is solid. But then something like um, Eradicate Trespasses, um, which is which is situational because you've got to have a, a an enemy within six inches of um, uh, an awakened wildwood. Um, but when it happens, like if they push their screen up and they've got three aether wings next to a wildwood, like you can really pick that and go right. I am I am one hundred percent going to do that, and I'm going to do it really casually actually, um, because I'm just going to cast the Warsong Rebs explosion spell and I'll just take it off. So there are definitely ones there which are doable. Yeah, and especially like if you're building into Durthu, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned Durthu like five times already. I'm a bit of a fanboy when it comes to Durthu, but like, you know, March of the Forest Lands, if you do boost him up and depending on the types of monsters that are being run around, yeah. you know, this this one could be could be an easy one. But again, I, I think I guess the great thing about battle tactics is they're situational and the fact that you don't have to choose them in advance, you just choose them as you're playing um, there are some good things, but it's not like Daughters of Cain where there's just like a bunch of obvious ones to run. Yeah, agree. Um, and it's with with March of the Forest Lords, it's worth noting that like they might be on um on one wound. Like it might be that they've got one mangle drop on one wound, and then you're like, right, this is my time. So that's that's kind of what I mean by a lot of these. They're worth having at the back of your head. Um, you might not use them for like three out of four games, but once in a while you'll you'll want to crack them out. Even like unleashed guy runs wrath, like you know, you could yeah. be chipping away at a you could be chipping away at a at a wizard, and then you use an arcane bolt to take that final wound. You take a burning head to do some damage. Um, you can almost be planning or, or, in advance for that. Or, as I say, or if you're taking Warsong Revenant and you're taking Spellsinger, then you you're like right. Well, I'm going to cast uh, my spell out of that wildwood. You've got three units with two wounds left. I'm going to kill one of them. Um, uh, so yeah let's do that yeah yeah i dig it i dig it uh anything else you'd mention with the battle tactics again like they're so situational all right laurie has sent a couple of lists in um we may or may not get through all of them no uh, we'll see not. how we go we'll see how we we'll see how we go but i guess what i want to do here is that you know you've talked a good game laurie and you know we've gone through a bunch of ideas and thoughts around the builds right but if I was going to go to a tournament, I want to get into your head. What does a lorry list look like? Um, and as always, I want to say that this is not the list. Don't have to take this copy and paste it, put it into best post pairings, and then this is your next tournament list. If your favorite unit is not on here, we're not saying that it's trash. We're just saying that this is how Laurie's thinking about it in this particular build. So you do you however you want to build your list. But I guess... I'm going to read out the list for the people in the podcast who can't see what's on the screen. And I'd love to hear from you. What's it all about? How does it win? What are the synergies that I need to be aware of? So you've got your Arch Revenant, you've got the Warsong Revenant, which is the general with Spell Singer, Arcane Tome with Verdant Blessing, uh, Verdurous Harmony. You've also got three units of Tree Revs. You've got a unit of uh, Revenant Seekers. You've got yourself the Kurnoth Hunters with Great Bows. They've also got Chronomatic Cogs. So that's coming in under battle about uh, battle regiment and bounty hunter so and it's and it's obviously a harvest boon with the reaping as um as a choice so what's the deal yeah here? so you, you've got revenant seekers which have been double reinforced there's nine revenant seekers there and then the, uh, the bows have been reinforced once that's six bows uh i think i think contrary to what you just said i think this is the list 
Um, I think uh, I'm sure people disagree with me, uh, and they're wrong. Uh, this is this is the 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 best I think best singles list at the moment of the Silvernet book. I'm saying that at least half tongue in cheek facetiously, like because because it's a brilliant book. There's loads of different ways you can uh, you can run it, but I think four singles. This is the most reliable build out there. I've talked about elements of it already, so I'm just going to flesh parts of it out and hopefully not spend too long on it. Uh, it's three drops, so you're beating a lot of things for drops, which is a really good start. Um, stuff which is one drop will outdrop you, but even if you one drop, you might just lose that roll off. So I'm happy with three drops. We've talked about the war song. It's got that combo I just went through there. Cogs, Spellsinger, Arcane Tome, three casts just sitting in the corner um, and just churning out that magic, uh, churning out woods, churning out heals, turn, churning out damage, like over a game, it really does its work, really does its work quite comprehensively. Uh, let's talk about the tree of first of all. Three units of tree of I think whenever you can squeeze three in, it's worth squeezing three in. Um, it's often tempting to just go for two because you've gone two and then you've gone, well, for me, Revenant Seeker's a battle line. So I could have gone two. Uh, you could go two and a unit of kind of hunters or two and some dryads. With three, though, they play the battle tactics so good. You can do take uh, two in theirs, barred three enemy lines. You can do with two and you can do with two Galatian vet units for the extra bonus point really easily, like automatically. Like it, you, your opponent basically can't stop it. Um, you can also do desecrate their lands, control the terrain piece. Again, with tree events quite easily turns one, two, or three. Um, and what's nice about having three units is like, let's say, right, I, I get given first turn. I've been out dropped. I get given first turns. I do desecrate the lands with a unit of tree events. They get the double. They take off the tree events. I don't care because I've still got tree, two tree events le left, left, uh, left over. Then turn three, I do to, um, Faster enemy lines and pop them in both corners and go right. I'm getting that. So three units, three units just just means that you can. They just basically play the scenario for you. Play your battle tactics in particular for you. They're off doing that, whilst you don't have to worry. Um, Revenant Seekers, the unit and nine, as I've spoken about, is just so good at bringing stuff back. And the, this is in Harvest Boon, so it gets that pre-game move. Few little bits of of tech with that unit. First of all, the pre-game move you can use to get up and onto an objective. And then what's really nice, and what I've done with uh, Prize of Gallet in particular, you move up onto an objective, take it before the game begins. Uh, and then if you if you outdrop your opponent, you then give them first turn and you make it proving ground. And we've been speaking about how there's loads of lists out there which don't have any uh, Galatian vets. They can't take it. You've taken it before the before the game begins. You give them a turn. You might just be tagging of one little model, and then you go right. Yeah, that's proving ground. Uh, and you're I, I played played it where I played against um, a unit, an army of sharks and uh, and Volturnus or, or the king. I guess it was king, wasn't it? Seb, Seb Domini's list, and he just couldn't take it. And that's that. You can't take it for two turns as well. Like you can't take that in his turn and in my turn. So basically, I'm going to right. You're you're down two points turn one. I'm up two points turn one, and there's nothing you can do about it. And you could do that for a lot of different uh, objectives. Like if you can get up onto them with the bugs first turn, you can make it proving ground. Or, or if you're playing the right list, you go, right, I'm actually going to put all nine bugs, move them up onto this objective. That's now 18 models on that for, for, for counting points. Good luck, um, basically. Um, they, as I say, very tanky, come back, which is brilliant. Um, their damage is something to think about. Because they are fours and threes, uh, I think they are good into bounty hunt. Uh, sorry, integration vets. Um, 
and into normal units, they really struggle against monsters who can roar them, particularly high armor save monsters who can roar them because they are just rend two and rend one. Um, they're only two damage each, and I say fours to hit. Um, that's why I think they have their, their, their weaknesses. And I think if you're playing against that, you have to concentrate on playing the mission far more because I think you still win on mission. But they they do struggle to take down big units. And again, maybe maybe this this list in the future doesn't work because the meta moves on. Uh, but but yeah, like I, I think it, actually I think objectively it wouldn't have been good enough um, in the last GH because there's too many monsters out there. Um, mm. And yeah, and so you will struggle there. But but they are very good. Six inch parling really helps, and they just bounce and retreat and do great work. The um, the great bows are the element which I think is the most like are they worth it? Because you basically the, the great bows with the archer is five hundred eighty points. So it's a lot of points, and their their damage profile is not a lot. And I was quite off on them when the book first dropped they were one of my units which i weren't or it wasn't really including into lists uh but i chatted to math Mallow about them and i've used them on the table a couple of times and they their threat range is massive obviously because it's 30 inches yeah and they're very consistent just chipping away at stuff and you put them in cover uh, uh, either in your wildwood or another bit of cover you can have and there are two up save with 30 wounds there they're just not getting touched um and any opponent who does go for them normally will just bounce off them and that's that's great. So they they can just sit there as your bunker unit, thirty inches, just pinging off. Never going to do loads of damage, but they might take off a support character. They might take off that that screen, um, and they're doing it really reliably. Um, I think the, the the is a very CP heavy list. So as I said before, if you if you can find damned, if you can play on a table with damned on it and seek out the damned, those hunters. If I've got damned in my deployment, the hunters are just sitting next to their damned straight away because they're just tapping every single go. As I mentioned earlier, I'll make that damned piece of terrain also uh, overgrown. So I'm healing one wound. So I'm taking D3, so take two, heal one, take two, heal one. And they're just constantly on plus one to hit that way. And therefore I can use all that attack on the Revenant Seekers in combat phase and not be spending two CPUs on it. Um, quite a straightforward list. You also are 1960, which means that you are normally getting the Triumph a lot of the time, uh, which on the Revenant Seekers, again, as I've explained, they're not that consistent in damage. So getting the plus one to wound on the Revenant Seekers for that yep. key turn uh, is quite big. So you take Inspired for the plus one to wound once per game yeah. Triumph. Um, yeah, I, I think it's there's so much value in the tree revenants. They're just being able to teleport, and like when you start playing around with them, and and realizing that even when they're damaged, being able to teleport one or two models around the board, claiming objectives, claiming um, uh, terrain features, um, you know, jumping onto proving grounds. It's very hard to zone out one or two bodies. Um, you could always make them. Um, expert conquerors because they are gv so if you want to go down that route like two expert conqueror you know tree revs counts as six um very hard very hard you know and it makes them all threats as well i love the the revenants and i think as i reflect on the revenants i i think about the fact that i've just been running four stormcast dragons and i've scaled them back to two because i feel uncomfortable running a 700 point unit but when I look at the differences between the dragon versus the seekers and having to, if you if you don't kill the seeker in the turn, you can heal up all the wounds. Um, you get the rally, is it on a five up? You get the six inch pile in because of the banner bearer. Um, I can see why you'd be more confident putting one third of your points into yeah. seekers 
where I've been uncomfortable running four dragons at the same price because they're just two mm. different things. Because there's also really nice work you can do with your coherency. What I will always do is I'll have my champion and my uh, hornblower at the back of the unit when I'm deploying defensively. I take the punch at the front. I'll break coherency. So I'll just leave my banner guy, sorry, my, my horn guy and my champion at the back. I'm left with just those two, but I'll take myself out of combat. And then you're rolling seven dice on a five up. You get three back, yeah, two, three back. Um, and then you bring one back through the spell, you bring one back on two up, and suddenly you're like, all oh, right, I'm at six or seven already. That's that's great. So, yeah, there's a lot of tech going on there. Uh, quick question from Morgan. Do you have a, a, an opponent that maybe this would struggle against or maybe a, a tougher fight than others for this particular build? Um, I think, I'd say, it it's, can be tough into monsters, but I think actually you do just concentrate on the scenario instead. So, like, I played against Phil Marshall's uh, Archaeon uh, list, um, and I can't kill Archaeon, basically, with this list. But instead, you just kill everything else. So I just went around, I killed his Varangard, I killed all of his units, uh, and I beat him twice because at the end of the game, there was Archaeon left and nobody else. Um, so I think monsters, in theory, are hard, but I think you just can play the scenario better. I mean, basically, if something has got the damage to just take the Seekers off, that's when you struggle. So the, the two day I went to, the one game I lost was first turn. I misplayed a little bit and put the Revenant Seekers too far forward. Um, but but he put, well, he put his whole army into it. 30 Sentinels, 20 Wardens, a Fox, uh, and a Law Seeker all shot and went into it and took the Seekers off to the wound, annoyingly. I, I was devastated. Um, uh, the final attack from Severeth, um, fours fours no rend one damage and i was in a three up save and it went through and I, I i think i almost almost broke me that but if they can take off the revenant seekers and so maybe something like i haven't played against them, but maybe storm fiends for example do it as well unit nine storm fiends you might worry about a little bit too I, again i think that you just have to play more cautiously as anything which has got the damage to take out the revenant seekers has invested a lot into that ability and so you can then you then just play a different game and you go right okay well they're actually going to deploy really far back I'm going to use my true events. I'm going to use my Warsong Rev to chip away. Um, and I'm just going to play the scenario better than you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you'll mostly find that people will have to put a lot of points into removing those, those seekers um, or they just grow back. Like it's, it's, it's death. It's death 101. If you don't kill that unit of 60 zombies, they grow back so quickly and you might as well not attack it to begin with. 100%. All right. Uh, list number two, um, I, I hear you got a, a, cr a crying baby, so I'll be quick and hopefully you can help. <laughs> Did you hear uh, that? Did you? <laughs> I, I can definitely hear it. It's, a, it's all good. Like Laurie's just got a, a new bum, so I appreciate the time that you're spending with us. Um, so we'll, we'll not through the other the other list pretty quickly. Second yeah. one is a is a Winterleaf variety. Um, you've got Spirit of Durthu, Alarial, Battle Mage, um, your tree revs, you've got uh, two units of tree revs, you've got dryads, you've got a tree lord, you've got uh, aether wings, you've got your spike swarm hive. What's your um, season of war for this one? Uh, this would be six up war saves, so it would be reaping. Cool, under winter leaf. So, how's yeah. this one compared to so this... the other? Obviously, you've got a lot more hero focus here with the Durthu and Alarial. This is my clever one. This is my uh, a chap called Tom Bastion has been running it down in Dorset um, because I had a chat with him and said this is what I quite like. Uh, I think it's really clever, but I think perhaps it relies too much on Hive and the Battle Mage getting getting off. But 
you've got a, a dirty there who can tag stuff in place and is gnarled so we'll just grind grind out doing loads of damage as well the tree lord as we mentioned previously can keep things three inches away from them uh, and again they can't retreat alarial i think is really good in winterleaf because as we mentioned before she heals so much and when you do kill her she comes back so you can really you can push her into stuff going right if i win the roll off then she's just going to heal back and um and you can't retreat from me but if you do eventually kill her then she's just going to come back later in the game so i don't really mind that um so this is why I, I i will try to get it to the table soon because i think it's really clever and i think it's actually quite hard to play against because because you can be tagged in so many different ways i think the the issue is is that um as i say it does rely a little bit too much on spells perhaps and spells going your way uh but i do think it's a really cool list and show, shows a little bit the reason i asked for us to talk about this shows a little bit about this is very different from the last list i showed you very very different from the last list. so it shows that you can go in different routes of it and if you want to take this where you're taking taking three big models and kind of pinning people in place and jumping around the board i, I think it does show you can do that quick question on the spite swarm hive do you find yourself using the vital venom or the shielding swarm um so obviously the, again the, situational but the ignoring rend, annoyingly, the ignoring rend has taken a bit of a nerf, and now that's only can be activated in your hero phase. So I think you're always taking plus three to charge and plus three to move. Um, it's still good. Hive is still good. It's the issue you've got is that it's a spell which you have to cast, not be unbound, and then you've got to roll that two up. And mm. I think it's it's why it's hard to build a whole strategy around it is because that turn you really needed to go off, you roll a one on that two up and and that's tough so like this list for example i as I, I really like this list i think it's got real potential i think it's very clever and, and very techy but like that turning out right dirty i'm just going to teleport to here um uh i'm going to charge and he'll clear that and tag that and then the battle mage rolls a double one for the charge spell you roll a one for your hive and you're like right well that that tactic's not going to work now um it's worth noting with valerial she once per game can make all terrain features overgrown which is really lovely and really works with this list because that that turn where um, you need Durthu to get in and get out, you just go, right, everything's overgrown. He's charging from, you know, all that tactics I was talking about earlier on where you're like, get within three inches of terrain pieces. You can't get within three inches of every single terrain piece. And so Alaria just turns it on for a turn. Durthu then does his thing and you're like, right, that that I needed to go off and it has gone off. So I think it's a really clever list. And as I said, it shows, shows what you can do with Winterleaf, that you can have Durthu on a, three up ethereal save often with a six up ward save alarial healing 2d6 each turn the tree lord ancient pinning things in place and keeping them outside of well, keeping them at three inch range like there's lots of flex here um yeah yeah i i, I like it do you have uh, this is the first list you've included dryads the last one that was all three tree yeah. rings. this one wh this... why does dryads come to the picture obviously because points uh, you're, you're, you're almost points. at 2k here yeah, points. That's it. If I if I had five five points more, there'd be tree runners. Um, as I said before, I think in this current edition, um, dryads are just they're still good. They're still really good. But I in this current edition, in this current GH, I would rather have tree evidence, basically. Um, I, I I will defend the dryads a little bit, right? You get the, mm. the, the minus one to hit and minus one to wound if they're wholly within nine inches of that overgrown terrain or the wildwoods. Mm. 
if they're obviously in cover, they'd be on four up save. So yep. um, that's that's going to be a lot of damage to try to get rid of the Dryad unit. Um, they're, they're definitely good. I, I do think actually in tens they still do that. Like in the past, before before they even had minus one to wound, I've had Marathi, Marathi charge ten of them and not wipe them because because those minuses to hit can just play with your averages something terrible. And like anything which is threes and threes suddenly go into fours and fours. Just that, that, not frequently, but once in a while they will whiff. And at that point, you are screwed. And there's, and there's so little way to improve a wound roll. So the yeah. minus one to wound um, can, really can nice, be devastating. It? it can be devastating um, for your opponent. So, um, yeah, no, I, I like this one. And um, obviously you've got the Aether Wings there. So they're cheap screens. They're objective scorers um, yeah. coming in from Stormcast as well. Um yeah, I like it a lot. Um, I feel like the Battle Mage, though, it might be a little bit redundant. Like, if you're going to have plus three uh, from the Spite Swarm Hive, but you're not, like, you're I, not going to have, you're not going to have plus three, are you? Because you're going to fail to cast it. You're going to have it unbound. You can have it dispelled. You're going to, you're going to roll that one. It's, it's redundancy. And then, and then, what's nice about it is that when it does go off, plus, um, it's, I guess it's, it's, I think it's a sign of redundancy because, like, a six with a, a six with a reroll is a ninety percent charge. But you're still gonna fail that occasionally. A uh, what four of a reroll is pretty much guaranteed. So I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because that was the point that I was going to make. Is that you either have a you know a, a bunch of redundancies. You know, you go from uh, you know a, a six inch charge is is relatively achievable. It's it's more than statistical average. But at the same time, making it a plus five between the battle mage and the and the and the spite swarm hive makes it almost a guarantee. If one of those fails, you've still got a good chance to do what you want to do. Alternatively, if one of them goes off, the other one could go somewhere else and improve yeah. two two things. Definitely. And the plus five, if you get both of them off, may mean that you don't spend the CP to re-roll the charge, but you could spend somewhere else. So you know and how also you use your resources. Yeah, and you've got Dirthy who's got a three-inch range on that weapon, and if you've got plus five to charge, you might roll uh, an eleven naturally. That's a sixteen-inch charge with a three-inch range, and like that thing, which and you've just you might be the term which you made all the train uh, overgrown. So that thing which they thought thought was really safe, you've gone gone. Well, that's without the piling, isn't it? So you've gone all the way around. You've got a nineteen-inch threat range on that gone all the way around, killed their key thing with Dirthu, and then he's gone out of there anyway because Valerio's made everything overgrown. So, yeah, I, I, I really like this list. This is the list which I, I thought I would run and then was like, oh, I'm, I'm too much of a coward because it relies does on spells too much. If you cast Levitate, does Levitate only on the caster, or do you, can you make something else Levitate? Can, I'm just wondering... Can, yeah. You, so I don't, I don't... I don't know if or not Battle Mage can take Levitate. Um, I don't, because it's an ally. I don't think it can, but I don't know. I was, I was just thinking, like, if you did hit that 16-inch charge, for example, and if you had Levitate, then imagine yeah. Durthu on a, on this massive charge flying over a screen, getting into anything that it wants. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it's not a big base either, so it could definitely squeeze in. Yeah. No, if you had Fly, but obviously yeah. you'd have to get it onto the War Scroll. Yeah. Yeah. Um, third, third list is the Harvest Boon uh, Reaping list, which is the Warsong Revenant. Yay! And we have the Underworld's Warband. Um, I, I'm mm. not going to try to. I think I think I've 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 told you the wrong thing. I think this is Heartwood actually. Sorry. Uh, so this is um this is Paul Buckler's list, um which I borrowed to talk about because again I wanted to show three different lists, and this is a very different list again, um because you've got twelve sides, 
And so here, Paul's, uh, Paul's running it, obviously not me. Um, uh, and you've got two big threat ranges, uh, threat threats there. And you're teleporting about the board. One's hitting, whilst the other one's chilling. And then you kind of, you're, you're coming out again. But even if they deal with one six scythes, even if, uh, let's say for the, for the battle tactic or whatever, you have to leave six up there, you've still got the other six, which does work basically. And that's... Um, how many wounds? That's 60 wounds? Yeah, 60 wounds with a three-up save. Like, um, it's tough. So, comment in the chat from Jonathan, who is the Guardians. I'm literally pulling up the War Scroll because I haven't <laughs> seen this. So, what on earth? Is, so, this is so what we're talking about here is one of the Underworld's Warbands. Unfortunately, it's not Skate's Hunt. Um, I'd be much more excited if we were using our little Centaur friend. But what does this Underworld's Warband, is it Yulthar? Yulthar? I, don't, I don't know. The Guardians. Yeah um so, the so there's there's like a few elements to this um first of all scape squad hunt is probably better i think sky squad hunt has got real game in the new book but, but that's a separate point um paul's taking Afari because he wants his three heroes um uh, so he wants to have three heroes so he can take uh, the extra uh the um additional enhancement um so he wants the double spells because you can see that the warsong revenant has got tree song and verdurous harmony um Ilthari comes with a free a free a free unit, her guardians, which is handy as well. Um uh, and if he could get the models, it would be hunt anyway. Yeah, Paul, so Paul's, Paul's just there. mentioned in the chat that if he could get the hunt, um the skates hunt, um, it would be we would swap it. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Ilthari. Keep going. Yeah, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, so it's quite I think the reason why I wanted to talk about Paul's list is in part because you know it's showing again you've got 12 hunters here, different route you want to go, but it also shows that even in Athari, you know, still got game. Everything in the book has got game. As I say, Scape Squad Hunt has got real game too. Um, they are quite hard to find. I think they're out of um stock uh for GW. So I bought mine about two years ago when I thought I was gonna include whole... them before. A whole bunch of them have just come back actually. So check, check, okay. I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we no. literally my game store literally just got a whole bunch of like the um the Gits one, and there's a whole bunch of them just come back. Um, but I do want to interrupt this one because Thomas Berg has mentioned a good comment as well is um no arch rev with the hunters. So you've gone yeah. and you've got two units of six um Kurnoth hunters, so thousand points, literally half the army. Why no arch rev? Do you is that a bit of a risk? Yeah, I think you probably do need one in the list. As I say, this is this is Paul's list, which I know is a work in progress for him. So I think you probably do drop Ilfari, unfortunately, and then maybe you because uh, uh, then you could put in um, you drop Ilfari, then you've got two hundred twenty points. Put in an Archer, you've got hundred points spare, uh, and then if you drop the Skull Root, then you can put in Scape Squad Hunt as well. So th there's definitely flex in these lists, um, but uh, but it shows again it shows what the what the options are. Uh, Paul, uh, and, Paul also I, saying in the chat that um, that it doesn't keep it's up hard which to I, which, I, it, which I think is really valid. I think there's a really good point to make here that this is part of it not working like it used to work. You are hitting and retreating, and so when you're looking at uh, arch revenant kind of hunters, do think about that fact of that if you move your arch revenant to within twelve of the hunters, which you need for plus one to wound and plus one to hit, so plus one attack, um, then they teleport out. Your arch revenant is sat there. In front of your opponent's army by himself, he's getting killed. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna have to wrap up shortly. That's all uh, good. It's all good. That's all good. Um, I think if we right, sorry, the final the final list, sorry, the final list uh, was just proof that you can still this this list I've basically ran since the first book. So this this is with a little tweak. Um, you can still basically if you want to just take a layer on kind of hunters of sides, you can still do that. 
So things, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Laurie, I'm not letting you go with one final question and then we can disappear. How do I beat you? Silverneth so is causing talk... havoc on the table. Um, how on earth do I win against Silverneth? So I think that we've talked a lot about it um, as we've gone through, haven't we? It's tagging up those terrain pieces. Uh, but the big thing which we haven't spoken about, get in their face. Um, you've got to play really aggro into Silverneth, which I think a lot of people don't do and think, right, what I'll do is I'll sit back I will play the uh, scenario, I take the hit, uh, but it just doesn't work. Like if, if your opponent's got something good, like six sides or whatever, you just will find yourself losing too much, basically. And with Trevenants, they can still play the scenario to an extent without committing too much. So that's the big thing. Is if, if I, I think Iron Jaws, for example, um, I think I saw Christine earlier saying that they, they have quite a tough time of it at times. I think they also, if you play it right, can be a really good counter into Silverneth because you just, you take your more Crusher, you move them right into your opponent's uh, army, you do the same with your pigs, you do the same with, um, yeah, exactly, Christine, yeah, exactly. You just got to go fully into them, and then you find yourself basically going, right, I've killed enough of your screens, I've killed stuff, um, and then uh, and then if you win that priority, then you just take everything out, um, because you're in their face, because it is an elite army with not a lot of models. Um, and you can't strike I, and fade in your, enemies, in, in your enemy's turn, so it's exactly, only in your turn. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just get in the face. The alternative, as Paul says as well, um, magic. If you can shut down the magic, then a lot of these armies. I think, that, as I say, I think my my bug build um, has got game, even if you do shut down my magic. Like, that's why I've gone that route, is because I think if I, I don't want to be reliant on magic, and that build isn't reliant on magic. But a lot of the builds, which a lot of the builds which everyone's kind of saying, look, this is terrible, I hate this, this is so OP, it's reliant on magic. Um, so if you've got Nagash or if you've got Teclas or if you've got an Incanter, which you mentioned earlier, like any of those offer really big elves. Awesome. Laurie, this has been incredible. I want you to go back to your family. Thank you for all your wisdom. Uh, your Twitter handle is below. So people go follow Laurie, um, go follow the journey. And I'd love to hear in the comment section, um, how are you thinking about Sylvaneth? Is there the units that maybe we have underestimated or maybe overinflated? Or maybe is there a defense on, on the other bugs that maybe we should be thinking about? Let me know in the comment section. Laurie, thank you so much. You are an absolute gentleman and a scholar. Uh, I can't wait for the Sylvaneth Battle Tome 4 where I get you back. <laughs> Lovely. A pleasure as usual, Coach. All right. Cheers, folks. Thanks for everyone joining us. Thank you, Laurie. And uh, until next time, don't forget your triumph. Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would love it if you pressed like on the video, as well as left me a comment to let me know what your thoughts are. The conversation will continue over on Discord, and the link is down below in the video description. I want to give a massive shout out as well to the AOS Coast Patreons and YouTube members who are going in and the funds are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you're all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a one on a redeploy.